Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Grillin' JR with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Jim, how are you, man? I'm good, Conrad. I'm hunkered down in Norman, Oklahoma, just where I should be, where I want to be, at least for now, and I'm uh, feeling good. No symptoms of the virus. Tried to get uh, talk to my doctor yesterday, and I tried to get a, uh, a test. But you know, we talked about having no symptoms. He said, "You can. What's the test you can do that find out if you, if you did have it, uh, and you know they can they can tell if you've had it and you're over it." Anyway, I may do that test next week just to ease my mind. I have no symptoms. I have no fever. I don't know what all the other symptoms are. Fever is one of them. But uh, I'm did, good, man. You did get some folks nervous over the this past weekend when you said, "Hey, where's the mobile testing center near Norman?" And I'm glad to hear that you're okay and. Unfortunately, I wish we could say the same about Howard Finkel and Joe Petticino, um, Scott Bowden, who was also a Memphis stalwart. And there's that old cliche that, um, you know, deaths come in threes and and we certainly got them in wrestling this week, starting with, uh, Howard Finkel. Yeah. What a great guy really was. Howard was a butt of a lot of jokes. Uh, unfortunately bullying was not, uh, Howard was not immune to the bullying from some. Uh, but for those of us, and I, and I would, would admit, you know, I had some fun with Howard too, uh, but, uh, it was a good natured stuff you know, like knocking the Mets or, or how the jets do yesterday when they lost, you know, by three touchdowns and stuff like that, but nothing, nothing callous. Uh, but Howard was a, I, here's the thing, Conrad, I met so many great people in the wrestling business since I've gotten into it in the seventies. I never met anybody that loved pro wrestling and studied pro wrestling's history more than Howard. Hmm. Howard Finkel was the ultimate fan. He had great respect for all companies. Of course, he was very loyal to WWE and events because he was Vince's first employee, WWE, how many W's or E's or W's or S, whatever. He was the, uh, first employee as we heard talk about and. He always joked that he got hired on April fool's day, April 1st, but Howard was a decent, really a decent human being. Every morning when I got to work in, in the, in my office in Titan tower, uh, I usually kept my door unlocked and open, tried to keep that open door policy. Uh, every morning when I got to work without fail, I had a copy of the New York daily news and the New York post on my desk. Howard would buy the papers on his way into the office, which is around six or seven o'clock in the morning. Why he got there that early. I don't know. He didn't want to miss nothing, I guess, but I could always tell, uh, what he let, what he had for breakfast because there were remnants DNA of it on the newspaper somewhere. (laughs) Oh, Howard had the egg bagel today, (laughs) you know? So, uh, uh, Bruce, Bruce called it Finkel matter. Finkel matter. So, uh, Howard would do that. And, uh, Lynn Brent was, was one of my assistants such a great uh, hand in the, uh, office, but she hated it. She, she was a Texas girl. So she didn't want to drive in the, didn't like driving in the ice and the snow when it was bad. So Howard with his early schedule, he'd go by their house, the Brent's Dennis and Lynn, pick up Lynn, take her to work. He did it all the time. He was doing it for a long time before I even was aware he's doing it or he'd have got a attaboy sooner, but he was a team player and a good guy and, uh, loved his Mets, loved his jets, but, uh, he's in a better place now, as they say. And 
but he'll be missed. Howard will be missed, no doubt about it. He he has the most prof, he's the most profound ring announcer of any ring announcer in any ring sport, in my view. Uh, the the his work spanned decades, high level work, major major event work. He named WrestleMania. Yeah. So Howard was a Howard was a great great guy and a, and a real true fan. We lost a great fan in Howard Finkel. So uh, my still thinking about old Fink and he always used to invite me over to his house to have not just hamburgers, Conrad steak burgers. <laughs> Ask Bruce that sometime about Howard's affinity for having cookouts at his house, uh, and having steak burgers. It's, I wasn't sure what a steak burger was, but I found out. <laughs> it's funny that you say that because that's literally the story that, that Bruce chose to tell last week on something to wrestle, but you started to mention something that. I think some folks have, have brought up, but Howard was, um, you know, the butt of a lot of jokes and the subject of a lot of ribs over the years. Was he just, uh, willing to play along or what can you tell us on that? Yeah, he played along mostly, but sometimes when it went too far, it pissed him off. You start crying. Mm. Uh, I never, I never thought that I thought that was going a little too far. Quite frankly, when I, when I, the ribs lessened a little bit when I got in charge of talent relations because all the agents reported to me and, and, uh, so they would, sometimes they're a little rough on Howard G ward, you're a little rough on a beaver last night, uh, type things, you know? So we got, they, I just did, I didn't want to having fun with him, making him feel a part of the team is great, but making him feel like he's a freak or an outcast is not great. That's bullying and bullying is very, very unattractive. So, you know, that he, but he took it pretty well. Howard used to produce all the interviews for the towns back in the day when they put the, the interviews in the syndicated uh, shows. And sometimes he'd have guys, uh, stay over to do interviews, uh, and they'd do them after the show. So sometimes they'd be doing interviews between midnight and six in the morning. Mm. So he'd, he'd, he'd have guys come that didn't have a, a match on the card significant enough to be promoted about. And when asked, Howard would say, I, <clears throat> I just wanted them to feel like they were a part of the team. And I think that's kind of what Howard was always looking for for himself, just to feel a part of the team. And so, uh, when, when guys are coming to do those late night sessions, then they finally realize that their interviews, they're recording, aren't even going to make air. They kind of piss things off. And, and Howard was uh, guilty of that now, but he, it was good intentions. He wanted them to feel like they were more a part of the team. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of Howard's philosophy, be a part of the team. And he loved it. Conrad, a man is a lucky man that can live a life where he realized his lifelong dream and a long career doing it and did it well. That's Howard Finkel. Amen. Uh, I don't think we can say it any better than you just did. Talk to us about Joe Petticino. I hate to start on such a negative note with some passings, but, uh, I, I feel like it's worthwhile. Um, some of our younger fans may not even recognize the name Joe Petticino. Maybe they were strictly a WWE fan and they weren't familiar with who he was. Yeah. In a different era, different time, you know, it's like, uh, the Michael Jordan documentary. Uh, I, I found it, uh, a little bit extraordinary that they were saying that a lot of fans today really don't know who Michael Jordan is. And I'm thinking, really? So of course he. I grew up and I was in an era where at his best, I remember him winning the uh, NCAA title in North Carolina 
with that little jumper off the side of the, or that little key, little, uh, wing jumper he made. Uh, it's hard to believe that that's how that is, but, uh, same deal. Uh, Joe Petticino, uh, was a real, another guy that was in a Howard league as far as being a fan of wrestling, uh, big time fan. And Joe started a wrestling block on an independent station in, uh, Atlanta. I don't remember. It was, uh, I think it was WATL, maybe um, somebody will correct us obviously, but local cable station in Atlanta, uh, Joe and Bonnie, Bonnie Blackstone, his wife, uh, would, uh, they, I think they're on from like eight at night until three in the morning. Wow. I think their last show started at two. And I can tell you this, uh, as, uh, I was a bachelor then, uh, I, I watched that damn show every week because it was interesting to see talents that were in other territories right. that, that might interest WCW and, and, uh, you know, probably somebody like me or Cornette couldn't watch it. He would, if he was living there, but he never lived in Atlanta, don't believe. So, uh, I, I watched those shows. So it was a wrestling block of different territories. And, uh, Joe and Bonnie did wraparounds and, uh, they were, they were, uh, you know, it was a little campy, uh, you know, uh, show, but Joe was a great, uh, uh, pro- promoter proponent of pro wrestling, a good, good guy. And then he got out of wrestling. Uh, and he got into the radio business in, uh, near Atlanta, I think South of Atlanta, I believe I'm not real sure he and Bonnie both were working at a, I think Joe was managing the radio station and Bonnie was there probably the best salesman they had. So, uh, he'd been doing that for the last several years, but he had a stroke and the results of the stroke over time, he just never could kick out of it. <clears throat> and Joe had a, you know, Joe was a big guy. He was, uh, like. You know, like you and me, could probably stand to lose a couple of pounds. So that didn't help his overall health any when he was trying to rebound from a stroke. And uh, it's just uh, his body was breaking down. And so Bonnie took Joe out of the hospital because the doctor said there's nothing more they can do. She converted a room in their house like a hospital suite and with the proper oxygen machines, et cetera, et cetera, whatever, whatever is there, whatever goes into the hospital suite. <clears throat> and, uh, brought him home and he didn't know he was that close. Mm. <coughs> Pardon me. And so, uh, he, she, she brought him home so he could pass away at home. And so I, I, uh, I communicated with her the last couple of days. She's, uh, handling it pretty well. I found it really mis- not mysterious. That's a bad, bad word. And con- it, it, it leads to negative speculation, but Joe died on Easter Sunday. Mm. This only came out like a day or two ago this week. So, uh, that was, uh, and maybe that's, she, I mean, she did what she thought was right. And I sure it was right, but Joe was a good guy and, uh, a good businessman, love the wrestling business. And sometimes like me, Conrad, maybe like you at times, maybe there's times where he loved it too much. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's times when Joe spent more time on the fickle wrestling business than he did on anything else but he enjoyed it and he was a, is a good dude. So our, our thoughts were with Bonnie and I think Joe had a son ironically named Vince. And, uh, so I don't know what his story is, is on him. He's a very bright kid, good student, but anyway, Joe passes and, uh, leaves Bonnie, the, the uh, widow and, and, uh, you know, we'll try to keep up with what, the, what she's doing. And cause uh, Joe just was a, 
he was a good guy. He was a good guy. He just, he really could, if he could have made his life in wrestling, he'd have done that in a heartbeat. But unfortunately that just didn't work out. And of course the WCW group, he came to work for WCW and, uh, I don't know. He, he was, uh, I, th- I think he was a scapegoat for Jim Hurd at times. You know, that's the funny thing about being big. Sometimes people that are big, like Joe get, get, uh, they get the short end of the straw. They're teased. They're not respected because they don't look like somebody else. And I think Heard was a little rough on Joe at times, which was never a good thing. So Joe passes. He was 70. He was 70 years old. Man, when my, when my peers start dying and they're a little a year or two older than me or whatever, uh, heck fires. Those are sobering wake up calls, Conrad. They're sobering wake up calls. Let me tell you. So Joe's going to be missed and I'm glad, we're glad we brought him up. Let me ask, you said something a minute ago that I wanted to circle back on. Cause I feel like you've said things like this lately. You said, um, sometimes maybe I wonder, did he love it too much? Maybe mm-hmm. he loved and spent too much time on this fickle old wrestling business. Do you think about that from yourself sometimes? Because it does feel like something you've mentioned more than a few times lately. And I've wondered, you know, since you've sort of been cooped up, have you had more time to maybe reflect and think, man, did I give too much to this? Well, I gave too much time to it. It's a good uh, observation in, in, in my new book under the black hat. And I talked a lot about Jan, Jan got me back on track when I was really veering off course, just trying to, you know, stay ahead of the curve, the pressures of, of being in that role. The pressures of working for a very strong, dominant alpha male is, is very challenging. And I think there were times when I went way too far, I, too many hours. I'll, you know, I'll call her, honey, I'm not going to be home in time for dinner. Uh, I'll, I'll eat when I get home. She never complained, never bitched or moaned. That's how I would do that. And I took advantage of her. God bless her. And because my priority was not my marriage. My priority was not my loving wife. My priority was my job. So, uh, well, he's a workaholic. Okay. That's nothing to brag about. Quite frankly, folks, being a workaholic is not, you don't get no goddamn attaboy or red badge of courage and Conrad being a, a workaholic will not help your goddamn push. It's going to push you away from the supper table. It's going to push you away from spending time with your, your, your significant other. Yeah. Jan pointed that out and, but she did it in a way it was non-threatening. Hey, look, if you don't spend more time with me, we're going to, we ain't going to make it never, never, ever. But she would be the one that would say, are you sure you're, you're not spending a little too much time here? And that it goes back to when I started doing the payroll and, and I go to, and I go to Vince's every Saturday, every Saturday. So I didn't have Saturday off. I go to Vince's house and work on a uh, uh, house show book and the payroll until I said, I think I could do this payroll. I'll turn it into you. You can, you can, you can correct it or you can change it. Do what you want to do. And that's when Linda came to my office that time and said, thanks for giving me my husband back. Mm. So I was doing better for him than I was for me in that regard. But Jan was the one that opened my eyes to that deal. You got to have balance, honey. You got to have balance. Everything's not a drama. Everything's not a dilemma. And Conway both know wrestling is so dramatic, whether it should be or shouldn't be. It is. Right. And talents, of course, in recent weeks, when you got, uh, so many, the, the layoffs in, in uh, WWE, it's, it's just a negative, negative thing. <clears throat> Pardon me. So, uh, it's always dramatic, always drama. 
And quite frankly, uh, uh, we have, we both have many friends in the wrestling business that absolutely bask in the aura of drama, my push, uh, my look, Hey, this guy's getting more TV time. It's always, it runs on paranoia. And, uh, that goes back sometimes in my view, you can't eradicate it, but a good management can ease it somewhat because it's called communication and talents are, are leery to communicate on their own. They don't want to start a negative conversation more often than not. So if you look them in the eyes and you, and you know them, you know, when they're troubled, you know, when they're concerned about something. So I brought it up. Hey, about this or that, whatever. And it, it was, it's how you communicate with people in the, in the wrestling business. You got to be proactive, got to be honest, and you got to be able to communicate. So I think sometimes, you know, Joe was so hell bent on being in the wrestling business in a significant way that, uh, that he probably let the business spend too much of its time with him. So, but we all have those issues. I've had it, Conrad, I'm not so sure you haven't had these issues. Starcast and all that other shit, man. Sure. Absolutely. You, you're up your, you're up your giant roll tide balls and that stuff. So, you know, it was, we've all, we're all been guilty. Some our, our guilty pleasures, but, but it's, it's hard to define it as a guilty pleasure when you're earning a living doing it or earning a payday. So, but, uh, he was a good, he was a good man. And, and I, I do think that we all, all of us at times, so this could be folks that are listening. You don't have to be in the wrestling business to be a workaholic. You don't have to be in the wrestling business to spend more time on your business, thinking about it when you're there, when you're clocked in or when you're not, uh, you don't have to be in the wrestling business. You can be in any line of work. There has to be balance in our lives. And that's what Jan pointed out that I write about under the black hat. We have to have, I have to have more balance <clears throat> because my health was failing. I was ignoring pain because I was, I was, uh, uh, apprehensive and nervous that if I showed signs of weakness, it's like that movie title. They shoot horses. Don't they? I felt like that horse, you know, that aging horse that had been running a lot of races, but now, uh, for some reason, uh, he, he's not the horse that he used to be. And that was only, that was all on me. So that was, and that was a matter of neglect. I neglected my own health. So I didn't miss any work. And sometimes that's pretty stupid. Well, we're going to talk about the ultimate workaholic today. Mr. John Cena. Man, John Cena has, uh, been a polarizing figure in the wrestling business for at least 10 years, maybe more. Uh, but there's no denying when it comes to the WWE Mount Rushmore, he's on the list. Is he not Jim? Oh, hell yes. Absolutely. I, I never, <clears throat> I, from the, from the get go, I never, uh, worked with recruited signed, whatever you want to say, uh, a more dedicated a guy and John Cena greatest work ethic of anybody that I know, uh, in the wrestling business for sure. And simply meaning that, uh, he didn't turn nothing down, but the covers he would take a, he did appearances his make a wish total is astronomical. We'll talk about that. But John Cena was a very, very special guy. And if John Cena is not on the Mount Rushmore of WWE stars, then there don't need to be a Mount Rushmore. <clears throat> You know, knock it down and build a, build a, build an apartment building or something. You know, you don't need the mountain. He's, he's on that mountain and he's very firmly in place. And we're talking about him today because today is his birthday. Born April 23rd, 1977 in West Newberry, mass. The second oldest of five brothers went to a Catholic high school and eventually, uh, transferred to a Cushing Academy, a private prep boarding school. 
gets into bodybuilding and man, he looks like an athlete from as young as we can see him. When do you first meet him? I met John, uh, and, uh, through Rick Bassman, I believe. That's right. He starts his career or training at least, uh, in 1999. And Rick Bassman is a name that longtime fans may remember was the guy who helped sort of quote unquote, discover the ultimate warrior and staying and much later, the Miz, Chris masters, Luther Reigns, Nathan Jones, John Heidenreich, but perhaps no bigger star than John Cena. We haven't talked a ton about Rick Bassman here on the show. You and I, what can you mm. tell us about Rick Bassman? Uh, uh, hustler promoter, entrepreneur, uh, another guy that uh, was a big wrestling fan, but looking to find a way to make a living in it. He ran a little promotion out there in, uh, Southern California. Uh, so, uh, UP, UPW was right. the name of that. That's right. So, uh, uh, but he, you know, any, any of these guys that have these quote unquote wrestling schools, the greatest accomplishment that they can achieve in their eyes, more often than not Conrad is getting somebody signed to WWE. That's the best advertisement, best promotion that a indie promoter or excuse me, an indie, uh, uh, promotion or school, uh, can have at that point in time, still probably going to be that way. Uh, at least AEW is at least in the picture as far as that's concerned. But, uh, Rick was that, that entrepreneur, get up and go guy, little guy, uh, you know, uh, just a, 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 a buzz of energy. Gosh, I, and Bruce did a lot, did a real good job for us out there. Cause Bruce enjoyed going to LA and, uh, and, uh, and, 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 and talking with Rick and watching the talents to go to their little uh, shows that they had, they had a the arena that they used that there. It had a balcony thing, a little, like a, like when Abe Lincoln got killed in the theater, for, you know, the little balcony gimmick, uh, they had that up there and that's where we would sit and watch the matches looking down at the ring out of the way where we could actually think, take notes. So, uh, Rick was a, a hustler uh, and, and he's still out there doing something. I'm not sure if I'm sure it's entrepreneurial in spirit. Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the Just Capital seal. Bank of America is ranked number one for ongoing commitment to their workers with initiatives like Sharing Success, which awarded 97% of their teammates additional compensation, nearly all in stock. This is the program's seventh consecutive year, awarding more than $4.8 billion in total. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. What companies would you want to work for? Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the prestigious Just Capital 2024 seal. Bank of America is ranked number one in the banking industry and number one for their ongoing commitment to workers, offering best-in-class benefits, including a minimum wage of $25 an hour by 2025. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. But he was a, he's quite the go-getter. And that's where I first saw John Cena was there. I think he was wrestling as his character was prototype. Yeah. That's uh, something that we've seen a little bit of in, in WWE videos where they would show clips from OVW where he would, uh, he's essentially positioning himself almost like a cyborg. Right. And he would uh, say something and then rewind it and, and basically just repeat the same words backwards. So a pretty interesting look, but this is a look that you knew, or you had to know when you first met him, Vince is going to love this. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, I, uh, 
I, uh, took a red eye back from LA to New York after spending, going to the show, spending time with John. And I, the, it was the most, it was a significant meeting. He knew exactly, uh, how to maximize his minutes. He knew that I could help make a decision. He knew that I could bring him, put him on the, on the, in the radar of Vince's radar. And that's the only radar that counts. So, uh, uh, when I got back, I had the car service take me to the office. And of course I've been wearing the same clothes for since the morning before, cause you know, the schedule and, and the red eye, et cetera, et cetera. So he said, I said, well, I got, I told him, I said, I, I signed, I've agreed to terms with the WrestleMania main eventer in five years. He looked at me like I was delirious and, uh, he said something kind of benign. And he said, now go home, take a shower and come back to work. <laughs> so I went home, took a shower, got got dressed in clean clothes and came back to work uh, as you know, there's that married love in the business being a workaholic. Uh, but that was that deal. You know, I, but John was, I, I just felt in my heart that I had met a very special athlete and, you know, Conrad, he could sit and talk, uh, especially the, uh, WWF brand of Northeastern wrestling, Northeastern in the United States. He could talk uh, chapter and verse as good as anybody. So I knew that he wasn't a bullshitter. I knew that he wasn't giving me all this data he memorized before we talked because uh, we got into conversations. We got into angles. We got into storylines. We got into philosophy. Very, very bright guy and very focused on what he wanted to do. It's almost as if he had this feeling that I can be really great in this business. If I can just get a Jersey, if I just get on the team, I know I can play. And I, that was an unsaid thought. I think he had, if I could see the thought cloud above his head, that's what to be talking about. I think. So I thought I've met somebody very special told Vince as such. And, uh, he wasn't as sold on as I was, cause he didn't, he hadn't, he didn't know John Cena. Right. He could have picked him out of a lineup. So, uh, but he got to know him real well over the next three years. <laughs> uh, yes, he did. It's been written that, uh, and I may have this wrong, but supposedly after you meet John at a UPW show in California, when you return back and meet with Vince, you say something along the lines of, I just signed your main event for WrestleMania in five years. Mm-hmm. That's just what I said. I, I yeah, absolutely. And he thought I was crazy, but the recruiting process was never, my goal never changed. You want to hire, you want to sign people that you believe if they can evolve and you get a good human being that they have a chance to headline WrestleMania. Well, there's no doubt in my mind with this kid's look, his attitude his uh, he was very intelligent. He had great product knowledge for somebody that was just so young and had never earned a paycheck to any degree in pro wrestling. Cause I don't know that Bastion paid those kids a lot of money because they were getting opportunity to expose their skills, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I, the red eye, I took the red eye. Go, they went from, uh, I think LaGuardia or Kenny, where it was back over to Stanford. I was so excited. I didn't even go home and shower first. I was, or changed clothes. I was so excited about meeting John Cena on that first visit that I could not wait to tell Vince. Unfortunately, he had something else on his plate that day as, as always. And, uh, he did not share in my enthusiasm, but again, he had not met John. Right. He didn't have the time with him that I did. And soon he did. And he saw what I was talking about. And, you know, we had, we got John signed real quick. He was one of those guys. You just, let's not let this guy get away. And we didn't. 
One of the things that uh, stood out to me is, is commentary from Vince on one of the early John Cena DVDs that the WWE released saying that he didn't think John had the fluidity that he just didn't like the way he moved and he thought it was a little awkward. And that has been one of the criticisms of John over the years that perhaps he, he was a little awkward and didn't move like a natural wrestler, whatever that may be. And, and that maybe his move set was uh, pretty limited. I mean, people even joked about the five moves of doom, but then you hear other folks say, well, no, he's playing the hits. That's what fans want to see. And that's what they've grown accustomed to. And, and they want to see those whenever they see John Cena, I could see both sides. Uh, what did you think when these criticisms started to bubble up? Oh, they're inevitable because wrestling fans like to criticize, especially in today's social media, they can sit at home. Like we all should be doing and get on that keyboard and just be badass experts. Uh, how many moves did stone Cold have, by the way, right? Really? How many moves did Bruno have? How many, how many moves did Ric Flair have? They have moose sets. They have things they do well because they're smart. They cover up their weaknesses by not going in that arena. They exploit their strengths by staying in that arena. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I, so John, the other thing about John, John was very heavily muscled as we can remember and still, he's still jacked, but he, I think that was a part of his, uh, a little, his stiffness maybe. I also think it was a fact that he was, uh, he was swimming in deep water in WWE, a uh, much different body of water than he was, uh, in UPW. So I, I don't, I, I could see what I could see the point, but he's a green guy. He's a goddamn rookie. You know, how smooth is he supposed to be Jack Briscoe the day after he signing? No, come on. But I, I, here's the thing about John, John, very coachable. Uh, I found out John went to Springfield college. He was an all American center. So that really made points with me when I did my research, we talked about that. Uh, and ironically here in Norman, uh, one of the strength coaches named Scott Kolak, uh, was he's from actually from Greenwich. He knew the mean street posse in high school and all those cats, but he, he, he coached at Springfield college and he coached John Cena. So I get a hold of Scott who I knew and I said, tell me about John Cena. And he commenced to telling me that if the light was on in the, in the weight room, John was probably there. He was the first one in first one out, uh, last one out. Rather, he was the, uh, captain of the football team. He was the unabashed leader of that football team. And, uh, being a grunt playing with your hand in the dirt as a center. Uh, I thought was, uh, well, his hand might not be in a dirt, you know what I'm saying? And yeah. playing the interior offensive line sure. in a, in a glamor position. So, uh, I got great reviews and he said, you'll never hire a better guy with more character that wants the team to win. And he wants to be great than John Cena. And I said, do you ever have any issues with it? Not, he said, not one. I can't tell you one, wow. nothing. So that's what we got. And we, so again, the, the focus of bringing quality human beings that were brand new, like John Cena into the locker room, you got to make sure they're going to fit as far as a social fit as a team fit. And here's a guy that's been team sports all his life. I like that. The locker rooms are, or have are full of their, they're full of the roster. And he's got along with everybody. It seemed like I like that. They liked him enough to vote him captain of the football team. I like that. So uh, he was a, he was a, to me, he was a no miss guy, but he didn't have that independent wrestling training 
that uh, the length of it that a lot of guys did with when they come to WWE or someplace from, from Ring of Honor or from WWE to AEW, whatever it may be. Uh, he was uh, he did not have that extensive background, but that's what we were there for. That's what we were there for. That's what we we're going to do. We're going to we're going to give him that experience, and uh, and and those and that those reps. He never shied away from reps. He never shied away from drills. Uh, never late. Just like uh, you keep waiting. Now, wait a minute. This is the pro wrestling business. Uh, I got this guy that some people are going to perceive the old, old school guys, a muscle head. So Jr. is signing this guy because he wants to kiss Vince's ass because he knows Vince likes muscle heads. Never crossed my mind. I, I could care less what he looked like in an eight by 10, even though I know how important it is. I was more uh, concerned about his character and his, uh, his mindset in general. And I found no flaws. Well, we've talked about OVW briefly. Uh, we should mention he did have a dark match in October of 2000 at a SmackDown taping. He'd get another one in January of 01. And then he finds himself in OVW and, uh, a few different things that, that he gets to do there. Uh, he gets to tag with Rico Constantino and, uh, he gets to really perfect the prototype gimmick and they even put him with a manager, uh, your buddy, Jim Cornette's old pal, Kenny Bolin. So it's an interesting time to be in developmental, uh, because the WWF is, is hotter than ever. Everybody wants to be a wrestler. It's a, a rich talent pool in OVW. It becomes a who's who maybe it's own little hall of fame class someday. What was Cornette saying about the man, John Cena and the prototype character and his potential upside? He, he liked, he liked John. Uh, he, he didn't, you know, John was a promoter's dream. You know, he, he had a, he was very intelligent. He was, but he was the all, he was, he, he couldn't help but be a great team player. That's how he was raised. That was his environment. That was his mindset. So Cornette, you know, may have had issues with other guys and deservedly so for them because they were late nonchalant, or they wanted to play the role of what they thought a pro wrestler should be leg slappers, shit like that. Uh, that, uh, he was, he was just, he was just a great, uh, uh, student and he, he sponsored that information up and the knowledge up like nobody's business. So Cornette liked him and, 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 and how could you not like him? Right. What did he, what was wrong with the guy? What was the, what was the, well, he had, you know, I don't know. I don't know what there's nothing. He was a dream signee that we were damn sure lucky to find and sign. We know that he's going to go on to be the biggest star that the company has produced in the last 20 years, but it didn't look like it was going to be that way on June 27th. Though two, that's when Cena made his WWE debut on an episode of SmackDown. Kurt Angle's in the ring, issues an open challenge. It's become a famous story now. Uh, he asked Cena, what do you think you have that means that you could hang with me? And he says, ruthless aggression. And now the ruthless aggression era was born. And I don't think anybody would have predicted that John Cena would be the star he is today based on that initial outing, which yeah, I guess you could say for almost everyone who had you know, big beginnings in wrestling. I mean, nobody would have guessed that the ringmaster Steve Austin would be stone cold or that Rocky Maivia would become the rock, but this is a similar story. Pretty humble beginnings here. Although you're uh, quote unquote, giving him the rub with Kurt angle. This is not the best version of John Cena. We're going to see. No, he just started. Yeah. <laughs> How could it be? Of course it's not the best version of John Cena. 
uh, he hadn't had a chance to get the, the new war, worn off, uh, by, by any stretch. So, but we all, anybody that was objective could see what we had here and everybody makes so goddamn much about what is what's smooth. He didn't do a good arm drag. Well, fuck the arm drags. Okay. Well, how did he respond in the locker room? How was he in practice? Was he a good human being? Did the guys like being around him? Did he fit into the system? You damn right. He fit into the system. But that old, that bullshit about, well, he was a little stiff. Show me somebody that uh, came off the, not literally off the street, but with limited training, uh, who, who wasn't somewhat, uh, stiff, but the stiffness is uncertainty. Mm-hmm. The stiffness is because I think I'm doing the right thing, but it's not a natural fit yet, but I'm beginning to get it. And that's, that's the thing about, uh, John, he was just. You know, he, he, he was the perfect fit, but it didn't take, it didn't take a long time, but look, even to this very day, I'm going to tell you that, that, uh, that the John Cena was a better worker than Shawn Michaels of course, not. or Brick Flair, but it, you don't have to be right. His per, you know, so uh, I, I really, I, I don't have a lot of, I get aggravated sometimes about some things like that. Well, well, he wasn't as good as this guy or that guy. Okay, good. Well, good for you. I'm glad you like that. And I'll go back to your room, put, put the Kleenex up. And throw away the goddamn lotion because you won't get a push if you use a lotion every day. Well, what's remarkable to me is just the evolution of John Cena. And I feel like a lot of folks maybe weren't paying attention back then, but you know, you've got this John Cena who is the white meat baby face who's jacked beyond all belief. And he's got multiple trunks and boots, and he's going to try to color match to whatever town they're going to for their local sports team. <laughs> so well, that, that, that might have been a little. From, from my taste and yeah, a little pandering. Well, yeah. So it's a little hokey, which is why it stands out a little bit that Vince would have got behind a, let's let him challenge slap and wrestle Kurt angle. And then B let's have the undertaker come introduce himself to him after this is how you make a star in professional wrestling. Is it not? I mean, you throw him right into the deep water with, a, with one of the most decorated performers there is. And then the guy who has the ultimate respect of the locker room and the fans know that goes and introduces himself on camera. That's a big deal. Yeah. A different presentation. Uh, well done, well done creatively. And both guys pull their roles off very well. The thing that's funny about that or not funny, but unique, interesting is that, uh, uh, when you, if you go back and watch that confrontation back. Look at the, uh, facial expressions of both guys when they're doing their, their verbal aspect of their confrontation, uh, before the match started very sincere, very real. I couldn't see through it personally, Thought it worked out really, really, really well. Uh, and look, hats off to Kurt angle, the now unemployed Kurt angle, uh, for being so giving and unselfish to provide the rub for John Cena. Let me tell you something, Conrad, in this business. If the, a top talent like a Kurt Angle, who was really at the pinnacle of his game in that era, uh, if he did not want to give the rub to John Cena and he sat down and had a little chat with Vince, the rub would never have occurred. So point being is, is that, uh, uh, John could, John got that rub because guys liked him, right? He, he fit into the locker room. He was, he was, he knew how to become one of the boys and not one of the quote unquote workers. Hey brother, uh, you know, bullshit. He was a straight shooter. I, I, and that's another great thing about John straight shooter. 
So very quickly, we, uh, we see a backstage vignette with Chris Jericho and Vince McMahon and, uh, John Cena and John Cena just absolutely slaps the shit out of Chris Jericho. And, uh, it becomes a very, very memorable slap. What do you remember hearing about this slap heard around the world here? They encouraged John to lay it in. <clears throat> Jericho would not have it any other way. He's a pro. He's got to look good. You would kill John Cena with a half-ass slap, and then Jericho had to sell a half-ass slap. Right. You you have no option. You have to lay it in, and and there was no question. Uh, Cena laid it in, and it worked. At the Vengeance O2 pay per view, it's set. It's going to be Jericho and John Cena, and he actually pins Chris Jericho in six minutes and twenty-one seconds. It's pretty remarkable to think about how quickly this is coming together for him. You know, in a debut, he's programmed with Kurt Angle very quickly brushes up against the undertaker and the undertaker gives him acknowledgement of his respect. And now he picks up a pay-per-view win over Chris Jericho. We've often heard that sometimes when one of the boys starts to break out from the rest of the pack, it creates a little bit of jealousy amongst the others who don't feel like they were quote unquote chosen. Do you remember anybody coming to you and, and complaining or sort of insinuating they weren't too pleased that that Cena had this spot that they felt belonged to them. No, not a bit. I, uh, and I wouldn't have been a very good audience. Maybe my crankiness, uh, would have come uh, reared his ugly head cause you're, you're pissed off cause somebody on our team on your fucking team in our locker room is getting an opportunity to live their dream and to contribute a big way to this company. And make the goose that lays the golden eggs, i.e. WWE, healthier. I ain't got time for that conversation. So I never got it one, not from anybody regarding, well, uh, you know, uh, what about my push? What about me? What about me? I've been here longer than him. Well, this goddamn, this is not a, this is not a tenured job. You're not a college professor. You're, this is wrestling. It's entertainment. Our goal is to find the talents that can be stars and catch them and catch that lightning in the bottle sooner than later. So, uh, but Cena was on a fast track because of the work that he had done in OVW, uh, Cornette liked him. Uh, Danny Davis liked him. I never heard a negative word out of him. I, I used to go in there, uh, frequently. I'm sure Bruce did too. I know Bruce did too, to, uh, to evaluate, to check up and see how guys are doing. And Cena was always one of the first guys you talked about. He and Lesnar, because Lesnar was the foreman of the ring crew. So, uh, he was a driver of the, of the pickup truck that hauled the, the ring. So between Lesnar and Cena, uh, they got probably more accolades from internally from the staff than anybody else. Let's talk a little bit about, um, and you know, I mean, we've mentioned it before that, that Cena's doing the white meat baby face thing with uh, the different team colors in every city. It feels like very quickly we're trying something different. And we're going to have on October 17th of 2002, John Cena, get a win over Billy Kidman. And then the following week, Kidman picks up a win over John Cena and then Cena brutally attacks him after the match. And this is interesting because it feels like when you go back through the story of John Cena, that maybe the office quote unquote was super high on him at first, they give him some opportunities and for whatever reason, don't think that he does well enough to sustain that push. So before we just throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, let's try turning him heel. 
And around the same time where maybe the office is losing some confidence in him, somebody somewhere hears him rapping and they decide to give that a go. And there's been a lot of debate about who that was that, that heard it. What can you tell us about maybe the office losing confidence in John pivoting to a heel turn? Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Title Transference aired October 27, 2004. Director James Marshall, writers Todd Slavkin, Darren Swimmer. I really like this episode, and I'm surprised that you don't like it as much as you thought you did. I actually respect your opinion more than I respect my own in general. (laughs) (laughs) When you say things are good and I check them out, they are. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but are you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring. That's right, going away, gone as in no longer available. You can still enjoy this show elsewhere though. Try out Spotify or Amazon Music, or maybe TuneIn is more your style. Whatever app you switch to, be sure to follow so you never miss the next episode. And thanks for listening wherever you listen. And then, of course, the the rapping gimmick. What do you remember about how that came to be? Well, the office never lost confidence in John. First of all, uh, they were looking for better for roles for him so he could star. He, they look they were looking for starring roles for John Cena, and we had a very strong babyface side of the roster. Any territory that ha- is is dotted with their top stars as babyfaces had the same obligation. It's been the same forever is that if you have a baby face territory, i.e. the top dog in the territory is a fan favorite, your obligation as a promotion is to develop a heel factory, as they say, and make sure that you get a, a fresh contingent of opponents for your baby face champion. And so I think that some people thought that the character, a white guy rapping for some old school guys was not comfortable. I think they thought we, we can't make a rapper, uh, a, uh, fan favorite. It's as stupid as it sounds, as silly as it sounds. And it is, I think there was some apprehension there, but John's rapping was so, uh, entertaining. I understand the story was I got an agent report from, from a, from a tour. I think it was an international tour that said, you know, oh, by, and by the way, uh, John, the, the Cena kid entertained everybody on the bus with his rapping. Freestyling, making up rhymes as it goes. Hell, I didn't know what all that meant, but it didn't, I didn't, I didn't really factor it into my decision or my, my feelings on John, but he had the bus rocking and everybody thought it was kind of funny and entertaining. So there's, I think that, I think that's the origin of John, uh, and his, and his rapping. He's just a, and he could do, he was good at it too, man. He was really good at it. So I think there was a, that, that, uh, what was that, uh, Caucasian guy, uh, that was a rapper. He kind of fell out of favor. Uh, vanilla ice. Yeah. him, Vanilla ice. I think they were worried that he might end up like a vanilla ice and, and get real hot and sizzle right out. But, uh, that obviously didn't, didn't happen. Yeah. It did not happen. <clears throat> the doctor of thugonomics is born. Uh, he's, uh, as you said, a, a white boy rocking the hip hop gimmick, doing the, the flat bills and the chains and the Mitchell and Ness throwbacks, jean shorts, and he's even got Reebok pumps. So this feels like this is more of the real John Cena 
where he's able to be creative and, um, you know, obviously he's a hip hop fan. Did, what was your relationship like in this era with John? You know, we've, we've heard over the years that you had special kinships and friendships with certain talent. When did you and John's relationship start to become closer? Well, you know, for the very beginning, you know, I liked the guy and I, and I told him, I said, I'm going to do all I can to make your dreams come true, but you got to help me. I'm going to get your ass to Jersey and you're going to play how well you play. Ain't up to me. It's not up to creative. It's how well you execute and never, I give him, I think he was one of the first guys I, I remember saying, never give this office any reason to not want to do business with you. He got it, man. He got it. So our relationship is this grew over the years. The only time our relationship was, was, uh, you know, he was on SmackDown and I was on, I was only on SmackDown for a cup of coffee here, there, and yon, uh, after I got removed from the raw team, uh, whenever that was. So, um, but yeah, I, I've always had a good re- relationship with John. I can tell you right now, John Cena has not changed the cell number. I got the same cell number. I have, by the way, the same thing. I haven't changed my cell number in 30 years. And, uh, if I text John, I will guarantee you he'll text me back. I can't say the same thing for, for every talent that's out there because when they find out that they don't need you or they find out that they, there's nothing you can really do to help them, uh, those, those, uh, brotherly bonds sometimes are broken. John would never do that. John would, he, he's just, he, 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 he has character. And, uh, I, I, so I've always had a good rapport with him, but when he was on SmackDown more often than not, you know, he could kind of, Austin was my guy, as everybody would say, you know, uh, and then Michael Cole became Cena's guy. And, uh, but I don't have a problem with that. I mean, he was, he was a star of the show. So why not? You should make him special in your commentary, but I, I have no, I don't, I don't Conrad. I don't remember a time since we signed him that we, we never, that we ever had any uh, significant issues. John had the ability to converse with Vince, not confront Vince, converse with Vince. He got it early on. Maybe a little bird whispered in his ear. Here's how you do this. And he's also, he's also very creative and he and Vince got on the same page of creativity wise. And I'm sure that John introduced Vince to hip hop and to, uh, that all that, that world, because who else would have done it? Right. You know? So, uh, I think John was. John was lucky that he, he, he and Vince had good chemistry and they enjoyed being around each other seemingly from the get go. And that, that went miles and miles, uh, to put smiles and smiles on faces. Well, it's, it's pretty remarkable that as soon as he takes this new persona on, man, it's straight to the top April of Oh three backlash Brock Lesnar is going to defend his world title against John Cena. I mean, this was a nothing happening babyface now becoming a heel with this new gimmick and then the fans just love it. So he's not really heel anymore and pretty remarkable first year in the company. Uh, we would cruise on through and see, um, seen have a lot of great matches on SmackDown with Eddie Guerrero and Ray Mysterio. And this is the era where a lot of folks sort of think this is like the golden era of SmackDown. Would you agree with that? I mean, people talking about the SmackDown six and all of that. Would you think this is as good as SmackDown ever was? Yeah. Look at the talent. Absolutely. 
Eddie Guerrero, Hall of Famer, John Cena, Hall of Famer, uh, Ray Mysterio, Hall of Famer. We had a lot of, the roster overall was deep and the raw roster also was strong. As you remember, and SmackDown was, was, uh, you know, those guys, the guys I just mentioned, Eddie, Ray, Cena, they got a chance to star on their own show. Mm -hmm. The star of raw is going to either be Austin or rock and undertaker and triple H and et cetera, et cetera. So the spots were more, uh, open and more, uh, attainable on SmackDown to get in that main event, uh, level of pay-per-views and things where the big money, uh, was being paid. So yeah, that was a great, uh, roster. I don't know that heck, I don't know that, uh, this is going to sound shitty for me and I apologize if it anybody, but I don't know that, that SmackDown roster has been that strong since. Yeah. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing to say. It's, it's in the hands of Paul Heyman and you've got such a rich talent roster here. Um, let's mention too, that Oh four Royal rumble. When John is thrown over the top rope, he has a tear in his ACL. So fast forward to February 5th of Oh four and Paul Heyman is going to bench John Cena after the FCC is cracking down on profanity on network television. We're really just building towards his big crowning moment. His first big moment in company history, WrestleMania 20, March 14th, 2004. Uh, Madison square garden, no bigger arena, no bigger stage, no bigger opponent is going to defeat the big show to become the United States champion. It's his first title in the company. The crowd is ready for it. Uh, soon after he wins this title, he has it redesigned and it becomes the infamous spinning United States title. And I got to admit, this is not something I was a fan of. I understood sort of the, the culture of of spinning rims and things like that. And the old Spreewell rims. So I get it. It fits his character, but a spinning championship belt. Uh, what would the cowboy have thought about that back in the day? We had never seen that belt, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I was one of those guys that didn't like it either. I didn't think it was appropriate, but look, I wasn't a big fan of the smoking skull belt. Right. Uh, and not, you know, and you know what I think of Steve, uh, like a brother. But it, it was a, it was a gimmick to sell more merchandise. That's exactly right. That's all it was. So, uh, and I'm sure that WWE did a real good job of uh, marketing and selling, uh, those belts, those replica belts. Now, when they do, when somebody does something in the mainstream sports, a super bowl win, et cetera, et cetera, whatever, uh, remember when they played the super bowl, yeah. uh, <laughs> that, uh, the, uh, they always give a, a traditional belt away the newest model newest design of the of the championship not this they don't do the gimmick belts they may have it back in then hell i don't remember but i wasn't a big fan of it i thought it was a little bit too gimmicky for me and i didn't think john needed that uh, it just but look it didn't run anybody off and uh it, i'm sure again as i mentioned they probably sold a ton of those things and if they sold a bunch of them and, and the talent could make more money then i really can't uh you know stomp and kick too much that it wasn't my cup of tea yeah, it's easy to say, oh, I didn't like it. But then when you see the bottom line and you realize how much money you're making from selling the replicas of it, it's like, well, okay, we're doing that now. <laughs> yeah, really? Uh, it's a big moment, WrestleMania 20, getting a win in Madison Square Garden, winning your first belt, and beating the big show for it. Uh, that's pretty cool, is it not? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Garden's, Garden's a great place to make a star. And there, a lot of stars are made at WrestleMania 20. 
there was a crowning moment for a lot of people. As you recall, Benoit, Eddie, uh, John, title win, title win, title win. Crowd was just amazing there. Garden crowd is special. It's special. I can't wait for AEW to run the garden someday. Hope hope that we can. Hope that we do. Uh, but it's a uh, the talents that haven't worked in the garden need to understand and to appreciate and to experience what it's like being there. There's nothing else in the world like it. And I can't give you a reason why that it's the color of the locker rooms. It's the color of the seats or the blue seats, red seat, whatever. I don't know what it is. I think it's tradition and the legacy of the garden is so extraordinary. I remember back in the six in the, when Bill Watts would tell me, you know, he, when he got booked in New York, he's only been us three years. And, uh, while red Barry, uh, suggested to, uh, Vince, Vince McMahon's dad, uh, Vincent J McMahon, that, uh, that he's got, he found this kid down in Oklahoma. That's a former football player and wrestler at Oklahoma university. That's six, three and 300 pounds. And so he got this tryout. So Bill said the deal was, you know, the tryout, he got booked. And so, and he got booked as a heel and he and Bruno hit it off really well. And they worked out together. Heavy lifting, heavy lifting with uh, free weights. And so Bruno and Cowboy developed a relationship. This is going to come right back to the garden. So the goal is if you got over and Bruno liked your work and you could go out and have a, a solid match, you had to be spectacular. You had to do hurricane runners or, or jump on the outside. So somebody's waiting to catch you. You got to slap your leg louder in the garden or someplace else. You got, uh, one shot in the garden with Bruno. Well, Cowboy got three. He had the last match in the old garden and the first match in a new garden, as I re- recall the story, but that was the deal. The measuring stick was the garden, right? So the garden's always been spectacular and special. So John, John had a real cool moment, uh, that night in the garden. Uh, he wasn't alone, but that was probably one of the most emotionally charged, positive feeling pay-per-views that I recall working on because of the accomplishments and certain guys finally getting to the top of the proverbial mountain. Well, it is a, a pretty cool deal to see, you know, how John Cena had his first big moment in professional wrestling against Kurt Angle. And then really probably his second biggest moment is a, as a title win at WrestleMania 20 against the big show. Uh, a few months after that is when we would have our, our two year anniversary of John on the main roster. It's pretty remarkable to think about, you know, he's just two years in here. He's going to wind up having the title stripped by the SmackDown GM Kurt angle on the July 8th SmackDown after knocking him over, which was, I guess, technically hitting an official Booker T would wind up winning the title in an eight man elimination match and then begin a best of five match series with John Cena, ultimately with Cena regaining the title at no mercy. Who was, uh, such a fan of these best ofs? It feels like Booker T had a lot of these over the years, but a best of series, sort of like we would see in, in an NBA playoff or maybe a professional baseball where they're going to do a best of seven. What'd you make of these best of five, best of sevens? Who was such a fan of these? Well, obviously the old man was, sure. uh, or we wouldn't have done it, but yeah, I think a lot of us were, it was real. It was, a, it was a, uh, an accepted practice. As you just mentioned, whether it be the NBA, MLB, the world series, seven game series, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and it was also, uh, it lined up to have perfect, um, episodic programming, best of seven, 
best of five. So whoever wins three out of five wins. So you're guaranteed for with three matches here. And it's easy to program when you know exactly where you're going. You got to, now you got to, to do great booking. You have to have a, you have to have your destination in mind. Not, well, I think we're going to do this. You can't do it that way. You can't do it that way. You have to have, let's uh, get a plan and, and let's make this thing work. So the plan was to have, you know, a best of five with, uh, should have great matches. Booker T was a hell of a worker, great champion. And he was established, uh, and locked in and John having a chance to work with a talented like Booker T was good for John. Again, the building process. The thing about the John Cena build was even though it came, uh, uh, it really started popping in after a couple of years in the business, there was a plan in place. And in, until he dropped the ball, uh, or had got injured or something along those lines, it was clear sailing for John at that point in his career. Let's talk about, uh, his next piece of business. It's with Carlito. He's going to lose the U S title to Carlito. Eventually he's going to win it back like a month later, but the time in between here, we learned that after Carlito wins the U S title, it's reported. This is a real storyline on WWE TV that John Cena was stabbed in a nightclub. Mm-hmm. Sucked. <laughs> I mean, really the absurdity, really the absurdity. And there's where. If you don't know how to book a wrestling match, you don't know how to create for a wrestling program. You come up with gimmicks. Cause that's what you know, best, right? Stabbing bullshit. It just, that was just so it was weak, really weak in my estimation. And that things are going so well. Then we, we gimmick it up with a, a ridiculously unbelievable storyline. He got I guess he's in the nightclub rapping. Jesus, come on. So anyway, it was, I didn't know. Obviously I'm not a fan of that, but I didn't think it did John any favors whatsoever. Then we see Cena make it to the last two at Royal rumble Oh five, where we did a whole episode on recently available, the archives. Uh, but the win from Batista is really overshadowed by Vince McMahon running down and, and tearing both of his quads. Mm-hmm. But the following month, John Cena is back in the title picture. He beats Kurt angle at no mercy to earn a shot. At the WWE title at WrestleMania 21, this is a, an interesting time in the company, uh, at least from my perspective, looking back now, because it feels like, you know, one, you know, we've, we've dominated all the competition and we've got to figure out how to sort of keep this thing going. So we're going to try something new. We're going to have stone cold turn heel, and then we're going to do the invasion thing. And then in 02, we try again to sort of reinvent ourselves. And we really have a big push for Brock Lesnar and we're trying things in 03 and, and we start to see maybe the rock look at other things. And, and now Austin's going to ride off into the sunset. So we're looking for our next big thing. So in 04, we pivot to, well, let's do Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit, but by 05, it feels like, nope, we're going back to size and we want some new guys. It's the John Cena Batista era and WrestleMania 21 sort of became the, the anointing show for both of those guys, did Vince feel like Batista and Cena are my new Austin rock moving forward. These have got to be the two top guys. And, and what did you think of that decision? I think he probably did. I mean, it's pretty obvious by the booking, uh, you know, he, Vince had issues, uh, with the, the size of, of Eddie and Chris from day one, but they got over and the fans loved them. 
They bought tickets to see them. They were buying their merchandise. They were every measurable that you'd need was there, uh, in my view. But yeah, you, you can't look, uh, sometimes old, it takes a while for old dogs to learn new tricks. And, uh, if Vince could go back to his basic cookie cutter formula of size where size matters in the pro wrestling business, then all of a sudden, uh, that, that kind of eliminates the guys that are five, nine and five ten, And that's kind of where we were. The plan for when Carlito beat Cena, the plan was already in place or being per, uh, pursued that, uh, Cena would be the champion at WrestleMania. So that's why he passed the belt to Carlito. Uh, didn't slow his build in today's world and on Twitter, people would say, oh, they killed him. It's killed his career. He, he, he had, he got, he got beat by Carlito. What the hell? He'll never get over now, but that didn't happen. And that's a little bit overreaction too, quite frankly. But yeah, I think, uh, I think, uh, he, we were best like the look of John Cena and he, Hey, look, how can he not like the look of John Cena and Batista? Right. The issue is, is that that should not be the only thing on the shelf. There should be a variety of things on the shelf. Unlike trying to find toilet paper right now. Sometimes you can't do it. So anyway, I don't want to come up with that, but nonetheless. Well, we know what's going to happen here at WrestleMania 21. Cena beats JBL to win the WWE title. Uh, we recently covered that WrestleMania on something to wrestle, but this is a, a big moment for John. He's not in the last match on the card. There was probably way more steam on the final piece of evolution breaking off and, and triple H and, 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 and Batista squaring off, but it's a big moment for John. And we've seen childhood footage of him with like a cardboard world title that he made where he's always wanted to be a WWF world champion. And now. You know, this is his reality. He's done it here. Did you have conversations with John about, you know, this lifelong dream being realized because we know he grew up a wrestling fan, just like you did. Of course I did. And we, and it was enjoyable. And I also, uh, asked him a lot of questions, historically based questions to see if I could, uh, you know, if he could stub his toe on answering, he didn't never stub his toe. He loved talking wrestling. He had a great recall. He understood why things were being done at a very early age. Uh, he knew that it was a entertainment didn't bother him. Uh, you know, in that regard. Yeah. We talked about that a lot and he, he, he just had, uh, he was, I'm trying to, he, I, I mentioned this one time. I think we talked about, uh, just passing Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson has probably the greatest recall of anybody I've met that, uh, regarding the WWWF. Uh, because he grew up with, it. he could w- watch local TV there in, uh, and when he grew up there in, uh, in New York and that was his, that was his deal. And Tyson was very sincere about it. And, and man, he knew his history. He could pass any history tests regarding old school WWWF wrestling. Well, John Cena was much the same way. Only his generation was after that, uh, Mike Tyson, uh, as a kid era. So yeah, John was, uh, he was really, uh. He, he had, he, he, he just understood. He got it. And I could see the sincerity in him. He didn't prepare special material. Let, I'm going to come with three or four little nuggets here that Jr. may not, might not know. So I can impress him. It was never that we had a natural conversation and the wrestling business obviously was a big focal point of that conversation. And he was as versed to talk about the business as was I. Of course, just like he did with the U S title before. Now he's going to make a spinning version of the world title. 
you know, again, this is something probably old school fans didn't like, but man, you guys were printing money with these replicas. Were you not? Yeah. Doing good. We might not like it. You know, it's, I don't, you know, it's, but uh, it's, it was good. You know, I'm a big fan of the Eagles, as you well know, I don't like every song they've ever done. I like 90% of them, but there's a few there that I could, I could, I could fast forward, skip. Uh, so there's always something in that regard, but I, I, John, again, I wasn't a big fan of it as a U.S. champion. I wasn't a big fan of it as the, as a, as a WWE champion. However, it was to a younger demographic. It was glitzy, had a lot of sizzle. And, uh, it also created another product that could be sold, uh, for big money, several hundred dollars, those damn belts, uh, I believe. And, uh, are the actual replicas. And so that was another opportunity for the, for one of our talents to make a few extra bucks. We always have to figure out ways to get a little bit more cheese on the Whopper and that, that those belts put some cheese on the Whoppers. June 6th, we see the, the draft happen and the then general manager of raw, Eric Bischoff drafts John Cena to raw. We've often heard over the years that Vince viewed, at least in this era, Monday night raw is the flagship. It was the a show SmackDown was the B show. Does John Cena moving to raw mean he's now the a player where maybe once before Batista was. Yeah, he, he was, he was, he was a, yeah, he, it was a natural thing. Uh, he got over, he selling merch, selling tickets, fans were responding to him. John Cena was never a guy. He was very polarizing. You loved him or you hated him for whatever your crazy reasons might be. But, uh, absolutely. You know, uh, raw at that time, uh, it was the considered the flagship, the mother load, the mothership as the dream would say. And, uh, it was, uh, uh, just thought that. Let's take our top merchandise seller and put him on the TV show that has the most eyeballs watching. Pretty simple formula. It wasn't like it was a mystery deal. What happened behind the scenes? You know, was there a conspiracy? Yeah, it was a conspiracy to make more money. Well, it was a conspiracy to make more money because uh, they're making a bunch of it here. The, the company is doing really well under John, and it feels like he's going to be poised to be the top guy. And then there's a shift at the new year's revolution pay-per-view January of 06 Cena wins an elimination chamber match to retain the title. But after it's over edge cashes in his money in the bank opportunity. And he pins John Cena to win his first world title, man. I love this creative. It was a twist that I don't think a lot of fans, myself included saw happening or saw coming and great shit, man. What'd you think? Uh, it's sometimes it's good. Matter of fact, more often than not, it's very good when the audience doesn't see something coming. Yep. Uh, and that was one of those situations. Well, we had great confidence in edge. He, he needed a, he needed a breakout development, becoming the champion, uh, with a surprising win over the, the new champ, the young champ, uh, was, uh, was a good way to do that. And if you notice, you know, he seen, got the title back in less than a month. Yeah. I mean, it, I'm not saying it's a paradigm shift for the company or that they're maybe moving a different direction, but what a fun twist that I don't think a lot of fans saw coming. Um, three weeks later, Royal rumble, Cena wins it back and he starts to feed with triple H. They're going to have a match at WrestleMania 22 and Cena's going to get the win and defend the title successfully. But it's, it's most notable that around this same time, 
where maybe they were so thrilled. The fans were so thrilled to see edge win, maybe because they loved edge, maybe because it was a shock, maybe because they didn't like John Cena. It feels like once he beats triple H at WrestleMania 22, who was by no means a babyface, the fans slowly started to turn on John Cena and boo him around this time, which I mean, I think they've been doing, you know, until the last couple of years when he's been more part-time, especially, and maybe there's no better piece of evidence to support that than one night stand of six, which is an ECW themed pay-per-view, but Rob Van Dam is going to cash in his money in the bank and announce it well in advance and say, I want my title shot against John Cena at one night stand, a really magical moment. If you've never seen the match, you got to go back and watch it just because the fan quote unquote heat is off the charts for this. There's no way Cena could have predicted that going out there. I mean, maybe they're going to, of course, I'm not going to be the fan favorite here. Rob Van Dam is, but this was almost unlike anything we've ever seen in wrestling. Was it not? Yeah. Cena wins. We riot. That was yeah. a sign that said something along those lines. That's right. Hey, look, here's the other thing about John Cena being a team player. Do you think he had to do all this booking? Do you think he had to do all this shit if he didn't want to? Of course not. You think he had to take the abuse, the, the physical abuse, the mental abuse, the verbal abuse, because, uh, he, he's simply booked. He had enough clout at that time. But he, he, he didn't, he was a team guy. He get, that was a great win for RVD. RVD didn't needed that win. And it was a lasting memory. You're talking about it now, Conrad, uh, in reverent terms, because it was a hell of a pay-per-view. So, uh, I, I just, I, I, that was a, that was a monumental moment. So, so far in the last couple of three minutes, we know that John Cena has, uh, he put a rub to Carlito who lost, he got the U S title on Carlito. He put the WWE title on edge. I gave edge a rub. And now he's going to, uh, uh, do the same thing for RVD team guy, team player. And I think the booing was simply, it may have been a, and I don't know. This is very arguable. It could have had something to do with the fact that John was overexposed. Fans thought he was being forced down their throats. Uh, and it was just a uncomfortable fit at times because there was any, no, really no other reason to not like John other than, well, he's polarizing. And, and then, then, it, then it became like a trend first when people first heard it on television, ah, that's so strange. And you go to another market for Monday night raw, oh, they're booing again. I think it was monkey see monkey do a lot of that stuff because I can't understand why people would have this hatred. If that's a good word to utilize on, uh, on John Cena, just didn't make any sense. Right. I think it was just a kind of a cult thing. Uh, but hell who knows Conrad. I, I never did quite understand that, but I, I, the only thing I can think of is that folks wanted something different. They wanted a character change, I guess. I don't know. And they may have thought I've seen too much of John Cena on my television. Pretty remarkable story. Uh, go back and watch that one night stand. Oh, six match. Really, really special. A few months later, Cena would regain the title by beating edge in a TLC match. And that happened in Toronto, which is, I guess, edges, uh, quote unquote hometown. Mm-hmm. Um, and not too long after that, Cena winds up becoming involved in an angle with Kevin Federline of Britney Spears fame. This was like a fever dream. I know he was a TMZ superstar. Is that the idea? Let's get a little, you know, uh, main street publicity, some mainstream rub, but Kevin Federline, what do you think of this? I didn't like it. Uh, and I'll tell you why I didn't like it selfishly. Uh, 
I, I never asked in 26 years for a day off in WWE, but one time it was, uh, that was the night we had Federline and Cena. It was in Miami. They had their match. Uh, it was on uh, new year's night, I think. That's right. And it was the night that Oklahoma played Boise state in the Fiesta bowl. Normally I would have been on the sideline cheering my Sooners on and supporting my buddy, Bob Stoops, who I assume is still waiting to get paid from the XFL. Don't hold your breath, Bobby. Uh, so, uh, but I asked for that time off that day off and, uh, Vince was emphatic. No, can't, you can't, you can't be off. Why? Well, we're, we're doing counter programming, JR. Don't you understand? We're counter programming the football. We're going to have, it's going to be more sizzle in Hollywood and Ke, you know, Kevin Fairline's claim to fame was that he, uh, he was sleeping with Britney Spears, his wife. They had children. So, uh, I said, okay, I didn't, uh, I didn't ever agree with it. Pissed me off as usual. And I didn't react well to it, but anyway, we called the match, did the thing. It was, we had to really stretch our creativity on making uh, it match halfway decent. But John Cena goes on live, no net, no pre-tape, no editing, no shit with this guy who had no athletic skills, no pro wrestling training and doing it in a main event role on live television, team player, John Cena. And of course I go back to the, uh, I remember, I remember, I remember riding with Lawler. He took me back to the Lawler was going back to his condo in, uh, uh, Port Myers. So he gave me a ride to my hotel in Miami. I run up to my room and the game is in the fourth quarter. And for those of you sports fans may remember that Oklahoma got beat. I think we got beat to get beaten overtime, but it was a big upset. And I hit that damn mini bar. I was drinking shit that I didn't know how to say. <laughs> my, my mini bar tab was significant because I was, you know, feeling against Philly, feel sorry for yourself. Should be at the game. Well, I was a, and if I was held back to do a big match, that was like, you know, Cena versus somebody strong, uh, I would have, uh, looked at it differently, but it was, it was a gimmick, but Vince is really, really believed that we'd get a number. I don't know what the number was that night. I don't recall. Uh, but nonetheless, that was, I remember those, you remember how you remember little things. And I was, uh, I realized too, that night in these minis at the bar little, that I didn't like scotch. I tried to like it, but it didn't like me or something. My granny would say, oh, I like cabbage, but he don't like me. Oh my gosh. And then granny would get the walking farts and that's what you'd have. So I didn't get the walking farts, but that might be a t-shirt, but I did, uh, suffer through a heartbreaking loss. So at the end of the day, I guess I probably got, I did okay. Cause I didn't have to suffer through that damn loss standing on the sideline, but the federal line deal was, was well thought out, well planned. It was simply to get no different than Gronk being at WrestleMania. Has Gronk been a big part of the programming since that? Nope. No. Oh, how, how do you think everybody jumped to the conclusion or the conclusion that JR, how do you think Gronk's going to be as a everyday wrestler? I said, are you kidding? He ain't never going to be an everyday wrestler. You know, he, he, is he going to commit to being a great, uh, in drills and practice and, and the hard work like he did in football? Unlikely. So that was the deal. We never heard from Federline again. I don't think. Let's talk about, uh, Umaga. 
New Year's resolution or resolution rather January of seven Cena beats Omaga to not only retain his title, but also end Umaga's undefeated streak. We haven't spent a ton of time talking about Umaga. Do you have any interesting or funny stories about Omaga? As good an athletic big man as we ever had. I can only imagine how great a nose tackle he would have been for somebody's defense in the NFL. You know, a little over six feet tall, six, two or three, maybe six, two, let's say, but 300 more importantly, athletic as hell, great agility, great balance. He had a great first step. He could feed a comeback at 300 pounds as well as anybody. Uh, Eddie was a real good dude, man. And uh, I, I thought, thought the world of him, but you know, old habits, or as we said earlier, old habits die hard sometimes. And, and, and Eddie got trapped in the, uh, in the, uh, with the substance abuse and it ended up killing him. Uh, and it's, it's a shame because he went too way too early and he had a young family. And so nonetheless, I, I always liked Umaga. I, I, I really believe he could have been one of the all time, uh, greatest, uh, uh, monster heels that we ever had in WWE. If he had lived longer. Amen to that. Cena beats him again at the Royal rumble. And then the next night on raw. We see him, uh, him being John Cena, pal, uh, team up with, uh, Shawn Michaels to beat rated RKO to win the tag titles. Now Cena is a double champion, which is pretty rare to be the world champ and a tag champ at the same time. Uh, triple H again, tears his quad and the rumor and innuendo is that it was going to be him and Cena at WrestleMania for the title. Do you think that was going to be uh, a rematch that ultimately we didn't see? Uh, I would have preferred to see something new, but it, w- but it would not have been a bad match, but I would prefer to see something new, quite frankly. Uh, I think that's, see, I think WrestleManias are built for, uh, debuts or blow offs. Mm-hmm. And, and so I don't know where that stood in that deal. It's, it's, a, it wasn't a debut cause it's a return. I'm not big on the returns at WrestleMania without some space and without a g- massively good storyline. Uh, building, uh, that new, that second, the return match up. Uh, and I think Vince feels that way too, uh, to some large degree. Uh, but you know, 23 was, uh, you get Sean back was a, was a hell of a deal for us. And then triple H gets hurt with that quad thing. And so we were lucky to have Sean there, but we were even luckier to have Sean seen on the roster. It is pretty fun to think, you know, that we may have got a rematch there, but I got to tell you, I enjoyed John Cena and Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 23. We know Cena wins by making Sean tap. Uh, I mean, pretty, uh, impressive. This WrestleMania streak he's got going for himself here at this point. Is it not? Yeah. 23 was a special night. That's in Detroit, right? Conrad. Yeah. And so what we've got so far, 20 us title win over big show, 21 world title win over JBL 22. He, uh, he beats triple H 23. He beats Shawn Michaels. Man, set him up and John Cena's gonna knock him down. Yeah, that's the way you build a baby face. It's a baby face territory. The baby faces overcome seemingly insurmountable odds. They find themselves in waist deep jeopardy and they battle out of it and win. And that's that's simple old that's Bruno. That's Backlund. That's that's uh, any any great baby face. That's how you build them. Uh, go back and look at some of the great booking with Eddie Graham down in Florida, how he built Dusty Rhodes. And, and cowboy bill Watts is there doing the booking, but they both co- collaborated and they made Dusty this, uh, this, uh, unlikely champion, 
with a bad body and amazing charisma and, and, and un, unmistakable uh, charisma. And so we, so that's how that worked in territories. If you had a baby face territory, some territories like to have a heel champion. So guess what they do? Then you get to have viable baby faces to challenge that big, powerful heel who's carrying the championship. But, uh, that's, that's a, that's those, those things don't happen a lot as far as heel territories. There have been some obviously, but most territories are baby face oriented. So therefore the value of getting heels and getting them over is imperative. Well, let's talk about what's happening the next night on raw. Uh, the guys are a part of a tag team battle Royal. Of course, we're talking about the tag champs, uh, Sean Michaels and John Cena. Michaels turns on Cena, throws him over the top rope, costs him the titles. Uh, and then now we can focus on, you know, the bigger task at hand. I can't believe this is real, but John Cena is going to start a feud with the great Kali. Yeah. This, this feels like old school. <clears throat> what would we do for Hogan? I mean, you've got to look for the, the heel factory and there's no one bigger <laughs> than, than the great Kali, but what a task this must've been for our man, John. Yeah. Everything you want in a great heel, you did not find in the great Kali. He, he was not athletic. He was a little bit awkward, uh, almost and a guy's that big. If they're a little bit clumsy can be very dangerous, right? Uh, it, w- it would not have been a match that I would ever have booked other than maybe a one off at the most. I would probably try to stay clear of that, uh, that booking, be honest with you. Uh, and it, you know, we didn't obviously we had it, but nonetheless, I thought that, uh, it was not a good pairing. I don't see how it did John any favors because the deal is Conrad Collie was not over. He was a large human being with limited skills who wasn't over. So what is the reason that we're going to do this? Because I can tell you the answer. He's a large human being. Right. And the, you know, the, he passed the visual test of the, and I, I don't think we did John any favors, as I said, uh, booking him with Kali, but look, he worked through it, made the best out of it, best he could. He didn't bitch and moan. That's the thing about John, man. He, he never complained publicly that I ever heard about a booking and, uh, and he could have met well, many times. Thankfully, after he gets finished with uh Kali on pay-per-view, he starts working a feud with Randy Orton and they wrestle at SummerSlam. Cena retains, but not too terribly long after this, Orton gets Cena's father involved, uh, who is at ringside, pulls him over the guardrail, punts him in the head. I mean, I like when we sort of add a little bit of realism and we see the use of a family member or something like that. What'd you think? It was different. Uh, didn't know how Mr. Cena could execute John Cena senior. He did a good job and he, and he was having a blast doing it. He was quite the character, to be honest with you. And, uh, I think he loved to be a performer in the wrestling business almost as much, if not more than his son. But, uh, you know, it's a, for a short term thing to add some, to give the heat, more heat to the villain who's coming after your hero. Logically, it made sense. What'd you think of, uh, you know, over the years, it feels like we saw every variation of John Cena, Randy Orton. Whereas once upon a time, it felt like it was going to be Batista and John Cena. It really, the legacy feud winds up being, uh, Orton and Cena. What, what was it about those two guys that, that Vince loved so much that we saw it over and over and over. They both look like, uh, Vince McMahon guys. 
Randy, six, four, a great, you know, lean, uh, muscular body, uh, John being John. But the, the key thing is, is that since OVW in Louisville, uh, those two guys have always had great chemistry. In other words, they, they say, well, styles make fights. Well, it all styles also make, uh, wrestling matches and they both, their styles, uh, complemented each other very well. And they like working together. That means something. You, it's just, there's gotta be some intangibles there to make matches. Great. You think flair and steamboat had great matches because of any other reason that they enjoyed working with each other. They genuinely liked each other. They love working together. It was some, I, I used to hold them both to their face. Sometimes you guys are too goddamn smooth, right? You're too, you're too flawless. And you know, in a joking way, they, but that's just, that was them. So I think John and, and look, when you, when you're booked with Kali and then you finally get Randy Orton, that's a pretty good deal. Yeah. Eventually they have a rematch at unforgiven Cena's DQ'd after punching Orton in the corner and not stopping. Uh, maybe not. I mean, it's a different finish, but I don't know that that's if you're tuning in on pay-per-view, that's necessarily what you wanted. Let's fast forward though. October of 07 on raw. It's a match against Mr. Kennedy. Cena suffers a torn peck. It's going to take him out of the, uh, ring for a while. And the title is going to be stripped. How big of a blow is this for your, your marquee star to go down? And now you've got to take the belt off of him. What's Vince's reaction when something like that happens? Next man up. It's the only chance. It's the only op- option you got. You can't go w- wave your hands on it and lay hands on it. Can't get Benny Hinn on the, on the deal. Uh, it heals somebody. Uh, ain't gonna, brother low was not available <laughs> to heal somebody. Uh, it, it was, it hurt your top merchandise seller, your top box office draw the face of the company at that time. It, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it, it hurts. So, uh, we had to persevere. You got to do a show every Monday night or every, whatever it was too. And was SmackDown. So yeah, it, it was not, it, it was a bad deal, but you got to work through it. And we knew that the peck injury, not an unusual injury in wrestling, uh, was, we knew the timetable for healing, uh, the therapies, the, the doctors, you know, I think, I think Dr. Andrews probably worked on John. Uh, all, he got all the, he got just about everybody that was anybody through his, uh, his place down there in good old Alabama. So, uh, man, he put a lot of guys careers back together. Dr. Andrews should yes. do showing him. Yes, he uh, did. Uh, and he says, what a nice guy too. But nonetheless, uh, it was an adjustment. We had to regroup and sometimes that's a good deal because it gives other people an opportunity that heretofore they might not have this readily. So are you ready to step up when you're somebody is, uh, the, who's ahead of you on the roster goes down? Are you prepared mentally and physically to assume that role? And so that was kind of the, how you had to look at those things, but it's, it's the, it's the inevitability of this business. For those that say, oh, it's fake and it's this and that. It's amazing how these fake injuries are then. Cause these guys are having surgeries for no reason. I guess I'm being facetious, obviously, but yeah, it, it hurt us a big time. Let's keep it moving. Uh, we, we should mention before we move on though, if you want to hear more about Mr. Kennedy, we just did a show on him earlier this year, available in the archives. Uh, um, it got, it got good feedback too. Didn't it? It did. Uh, including from the talent themselves. So, uh, it's a bit of a sleeper episode, but. A very interesting tale. Go out of your way to check it out. Uh, here's something that nobody saw coming a surprise return for John Cena at the 2008 Royal rumble. 
Not only is it a surprise return, but he wins the match. He gets a title shot at WrestleMania way far ahead of schedule. John Cena was like a madman to get back in the ring here. Was he not? Oh yeah, he was. I remember what I remember about that, uh, night was when he was at the Royal rumble, when he was introduced, the ovation was deafening. There was no booing. There was no, you know, uh, gimmicky booing type thing. You know, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just booing so I can get a notice or I get attention as a fan. The, the ovation was deafening. It was real. It was organic. It was natural. So it answered all the questions. People were not tired of seeing John Cena. That's why I think the booing and the still, I still believe the booing when he gets booed is what they, they think they are expected to do. They think they're expected cause they get, they get, uh, noticed, uh, they get recognized for their, their angst and the polarization of John Cena continues type thing. But that, that ovation, the only other time I can remember something like that, uh, we, uh, was a triple H return was amazing. And I think there was a time when Austin came back that, uh, the crowd went absolutely crazy, shit themselves. So oh, I don't think they shit themselves. Well, somebody might, have, uh, might have, might have had a little, little zart or fart. What do you call those things? That are, what's shart. a wet fart called? Uh, shart. Shart. Yeah. I might've sharted myself. You never know. Uh, but nonetheless, it was, uh, it was very impressive and uh, we were so glad to see him back as were the fans, obviously. WrestleMania 24, it's a triple threat match against Orton and triple H for the title. Orton pins Cena in the match. Let's fast forward to the August 4th raw. He teams up with Batista to beat Cody Rhodes and Ted DiBiase to win the tag titles and just lose them back the next week. Pretty fun to look back on moments like this where once upon a time, it feels like it was going to be him and Batista. Now they're tag champs and they pick up a win over Cody Rhodes and Ted DiBiase. Uh, man, what a, what a long tangled mess. Some of this is. He winds up suffering a herniated disc and, uh, he's going to require surgery and he's going to be out until survivor series in November. At any point here, did Vince start to worry Is our man injury prone? Because it feels like some guys get this label thrown on them and their career is never the same. They don't get the Vince's confidence and, and he, they're just not in featured spots anymore. Whereas with Cena, he's always there, even with injuries. Why, what's the difference between Vince's mind? If you had to guess passion, John's passion was overwhelming. His dedication to his craft was overwhelming. Uh, I don't, I don't know that anybody had any doubts that I can recall talking about other than casually, you know, we got to get John healthy and we got to keep John healthy more importantly as well. So I don't think there was any massive, uh, apprehensions. Are we going the right guy or whatever? Cause we knew we were going the right guy. Here's the thing about this. If John was a, a guy that never said no, he worked his ass off. He worked, he would work seven days a week or 10 days a week. If there were 10 days in the week, uh, he loved what he did. Hence, I mentioned earlier about his record for a make a wish, granting wishes to terminally ill children. Nobody's even close. Uh, uh, and he, he just was, that was the kind of guy that he was. He, he just never turned anything down phoners on the radio or, or whatever, man. He did everything he was asked to do. And because he was such a big star and the people that didn't doing the asking in PR, wherever it may be, uh, community relations, whatever, whatever, whatever unit of the company it was knew John 
like to do these. And he would not say no. So all of a sudden they get a, a top talent, the top talent, who's not going to say no. So they're silly not to ask him. And he didn't, and again, he didn't turn anything down with the cover as granny would say. And he was just always there always. So we didn't, we didn't have any issues about John's is he injury prone. Uh, just, he worked all the time. He worked a hard style, uh, and he was heavily muscled and the, 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 the disc issue was in his neck. So that could have been a football, old football injury that lingered. Who knows? I don't know that. But point being is, is that at no point did we lose confidence that John Cena was not going to hold up. He's back at survivor series. As we said, he's going to return and beat Chris Jericho to win his first world title. To be clear, he's always had the spinner belt before the WWE championship. Well, this is the big gold belt. Uh, heading into 09, seen as the world champ, and he beats JBL at the Royal Rumble, but then loses the title the next month at No Way Out to Edge. Edge is another one of those guys, sort of like Randy Orton. It feels like we've seen Edge and John Cena a thousand different ways. Why was their chemistry so can't miss? It feels like if those guys were in there together, you knew it was going to be a big match. Yeah, they liked each other. They they got they got along. Uh Goodness gracious. You can't get along with John Cena or Adam Copeland. You're, you miss, you may have some issues that you need to address. They were just, they, they're living their dream. Conrad, they, they're young guys. They were, they were full of piss and vinegar. You know, they're on top and the biggest company in the world. They're, they're doing, they're, they're living a dream that I'm sure that neither thought that was ever attainable. It just goes to show you, man, you keep your nose, to the grindstone, you keep working your ass off. You never reside for very long in your, in your goddamn comfort zone. Kiss of death. Get out of it. If you ain't growing, you're dying. Simple deal, Ricky Bobby. Simple deal. So, uh, if you ain't first, you're last. So that was, uh, they just got along well. They had good chemistry. They, they knew it and their style, even though, uh, athletic, they didn't kill each other. They didn't beat each other to death. They had contact, but they weren't careless with each other. So I think there was a, a feeling there that. You know, I'm, this guy's got, got my back. You know, John's not going to let me get hurt. Edge, it's the same thing. Edge is going to take, take care of me. So they were good for each other and they had great chemistry. And I thought their promos were some of the most entertaining promos at, at each other that we'd had in a long time. Let's keep it going here and talk <laughs> about WrestleMania 25. This is the Vicky Guerrero, uh, GM era. So she's going to make this a triple threat. So it's John Cena winning the world title over edge and big show in 14 minutes and 42 seconds. Pretty remarkable entrance here for John Cena. He started to get bigger and bigger WrestleMania entrances. And here we've got, I don't know. It looks like a hundred or more guys dressed up like John Cena lining up, uh, the match while it was pretty good, uh, only got three and a quarter stars in the observer, but I always appreciated John Cena's entrances and maybe I like the entrance a little more than the match here, a triple threat though. That's a tall order. I mean, it's, uh, it's almost like writing with your left hand sometimes from a traditional sense of uh, a wrestler's mindset. Is it not? Yeah, it's, it could be daunting. It could be daunting. You got a d different set of a little different mindset and a structure. No doubt. The rain is not going to last long. He winds up losing the title back to edge at backlash. When big show choke slams, John through the announcer's table, uh, at night of champions in July, Cena's going to challenge for the WWE title again in a triple threat this time against triple H 
and Randy Orton, but he's pinned by Orton after interference from Cody and Ted. And the next night, Cena wins a beat the clock challenge and earns another title shot at SummerSlam. Again, it's Randy Orton and John Cena. This is SummerSlam 09 and Meltzer would call it an overbooked mess of a match. This is, uh, not their best stuff. It's a weird finish where the match is stopped and started again. And, um, Meltzer would say the finish pretty much ruined the match. One restart always works. Two usually works at three. You've turned it into a clown show and they did four here. Obviously the idea was to build the I quit match, but nothing here really did that. What'd you think of this creative? I didn't like it. And it, this is the reasons you outlined. If one restarts good and we can get by with two, let's just do four. It made no sense. Illogical, illogical. It wasn't the story to be told. The story to get them to an I quit match could have been done, uh, in a, in a much different way. I just thought it was frustrating for the fans. And, and uh, that's never a good thing to, to book a match where the fans are frustrated. They either fans should be excited, pissed off because they're the fan favorite lost or their, their favorite lost. Uh, but all these other emotions, you try to squeeze into that box of emotional, that emotional box for wrestling fans to, to experience the one emotion you don't want is frustration or confusion or lack of patience, make any sense. And we gave the fans every reason in the world with these restarts to do exactly those things that do not check the box on the heels of this. It's more John Cena. It's more Randy Orton. Uh, and that's going to continue for quite a while, but breaking point is Cena and Orton in an I quit match. Cena wins, wins his fourth WWE championship, but he loses the title right back to Randy Orton in a hell in a cell match at the hell in a cell pay-per-view. And then later they have a bragging, a bragging rights pay-per-view match. It's a 60 minute Ironman match. We're sort of overdosing on John Cena and, and Randy Orton here. Is this sort of this era's Austin rock feud? Yeah, I think it was. I think it was two guys that we had high hopes for and, and they were proving us right. And, uh, for me as the, you know, and during my tenure, there's head of talent relations. It was kind of cool to see two guys that I coveted and signed, uh, with, you know, with Bruce was there helping and, you know, we all, it was a team effort. It was a team effort. Uh, it, it made me proud. So yeah, they were the, Hey, we hoped. They would be Austin and rock or sure. No doubt about that. It's just hard to replace those two dudes, uh, in their in the previous scenarios, but yeah, they were, they were very, look, neither guy were locker room issues. Neither guy had problems doing, keeping their commitments. They're both very professional. They were company men. There was no negatives, no downside for these, these dudes. So, uh, in that regard. So I, I think I thought that they, they were the guys, they were the guys and I was proud as hell of them. Talk to me a little bit about the way the company looked at these guys. You know, you said they're both company guys, but we've heard rumor and innuendo over the years that Randy Orton could be difficult to get along with or difficult to do business with. Meanwhile, we've never heard anything of the sort about John Cena, but they both, you know, come into the company around the same time, go both going through OVW. It feels like their, their careers are sort of parallel, but maybe for whatever reason, Vince thinks John Cena is a safer bet or. He didn't maybe have some of the, uh, maturity issues that maybe Randy Orton struggled with early in his career. Yeah. Uh, there were some issues with Randy early on this immaturity issues. That's all, <clears throat> uh, 
he, he, he could be a little arrogant at times. Well, and, and rightfully so. I mean, you know, he's a, a young guy coming into uh, a big featured spot, a lot of money, a lot of fame, mm-hmm. a lot of celebrity. That's probably a challenge for anybody to deal with. Uh, let's keep it moving though. We'll talk about Randy another time. Let's get back to John Cena for now. Uh, he's going to successfully defeat and defend the title against both triple H and Shawn Michaels at uh, survivor series. It's a triple threat match. Uh, but he's going to lose the title to Sheamus at the TLC pay-per-view in a tables match. What'd you think of that? You know, John Cena, a handful of years prior to this, he's looking for guys like Chris Jericho and the undertaker. And, uh, of course, Kurt angle to help establish him. Sheamus is very new to the company. And, and right away beating John Cena in the main event of a pay-per-view that's, uh, that's a, a tall ask and, and something that shows us where Vince's mind is at the time. Well, try, John is willing to try to make another opponent. Uh, Seamus was a very well thought of at that point in time, you know, a hardworking guy, Irish. We had never had an Irish champion. Of course, for your boss's name, Mick man, Mr. McMahon. Uh, that, uh, he, he was, uh, had, he had, he had, uh, you know, a little love there and he's a hard worker and a tough guy. Uh, and so all that was, is nothing more than an attempt to create more opponents for John, therefore creating more stars for the company. Simple as that. Royal rumble, 2010, John Cena is in the rumble match. A lot of people probably predict he's going to win. That is not the case. Edge is the person who eliminates him and winds up winning the match. But don't worry, the next month at Elimination Chamber, John Cena regains the title in an Elimination Chamber match. And immediately after it was over, Mr. McMahon comes out and makes him defend it against Batista, who wins the title. And now we know what we've got for WrestleMania 26. Just five years after both of these guys won their first world title, we see the collision course happen. It's Batista and John Cena. They get 13 minutes, 38 seconds at the end of the night. John Cena gets his hand raised and, uh, it was a three and a half star match, but it felt like it had been in the works for a long, long time. What'd you think of this? Well, I thought that the frequent title changes with Cena's reign or anybody else's is counterproductive. It's not the greatest way of booking. It's not the greatest storytelling, switching the titles back and forth like a hot potato. I don't like it. I don't think fans like it by and large, you know, uh, I just, I just don't, I don't trust it. I don't like it for some reason. It's, it's almost like we expose our own business. This guy wins and this guy wins. Well, he's got to win it back and he's going to win. Come on. So I just, I didn't like that, that, uh, trend. And as much as we've talked about John here today, uh, Connie, Connie, we have a scenario where we got rapid fire title changes. Yeah. So you can't tell the champion without a program, I guess. So I, I don't know. I, I'm not a big proponent of that. I thought, again, I don't know how much, how many favors we did. John, the fact that he was so over, so Teflon, nothing negative is going to stick to him like a loss or losing a title type scenario that works for a while. But then we talked about earlier, why was he getting booed? Well, Again, he's getting, he's getting all these chances to keep regaining titles. And I think people, they had a little, uh, they, they had a little back, backlash of that. I think they had a little kickback pushback. And I, and I don't know that we'd helped him, John with all these title changes, there are other ways to do it. And it goes back to somewhere talents are saying, well, if I don't go over, I can't get over. And that's true 
uh, oftentimes, but I've also seen matches. I've called them myself where guys got over in a losing effort. Stone Cold got over at WrestleMania 13 and he lost the match. Uh, and there's a zillion other illustrations for that happened. Quality matches, stem winders, as granny would say, uh, all that good stuff means more the execution of the match than the final one, two, three. In many cases, that does not mean that I like 50, 50 booking. I know that if you're going to get a talent over, they have to have momentum. So they got to get some wins together. And, and, but sometimes this with booking and trying to keep talent happy. My, my concern would be to sit down with talent. So here's what we're doing. Here's why we're not doing this. And so it would not be to keep talent happy. It would be to keep talent informed. Here's our game plan. And here's what we're going to do. Do you have any ideas to make it better? And that's what I would be interested in. Not, well, we've got to keep the boys happy. You know, bullshit. They're going to be really happy on when they get their check. That's all they care about. John is going to, uh, def- successfully defend his new world title against Batista at extreme rules and a last man standing rematch, uh, which we recently covered on the Arn show, which I can't recommend enough. That finish was pretty creative duct taping Batista's feet around the post. I seen him within defeat Batista at the over the limit pay-per-view and an I quit match. And it feels like Cena Orton all over again. Uh, you know, you have a, you're a wrestling fan first and foremost. Did you have a preference? Did you like the Cena Orton matches better or the Cena Batista matches better? I like the Cena edge matches better. Be honest with you. Uh, but I didn't dislike the others. I mean, uh, you know, Randy, Randy's an entirely different talent than Dave Batista. Uh, they're different body types, different styles, different approaches. Uh, so it's hard to compare them. Uh, but I didn't dislike Batista and, and Cena. I liked Orton and Cena a lot, but my favorite of the whole crew of the whole group, I should say was uh, Cena and edge. Cause I thought that they had more, uh, chemistry. Uh, they seemed to be, their style seemed to work really well together. Not that Randy's or didn't or days didn't, but it's just different. So I was a fan of the Cena and edge, uh, bookings. Let's uh, keep it rolling here and let's talk about the June 7th raw. This is pretty notable. It's 2010 Cena's attacked by eight contestants from the first season of NXT. Wade Barrett's the leader. Also in the group is Daniel Bryan, Darren Young, Skip Sheffield, who we know is going to be Ryback one day, Michael Tarver, Justin Gabriel, Heath Slater, David Otunga. During the attack, they not only beat up Cena, but they also beat up Jerry Lawler, Matt Stryker, and destroy everything at ringside, including uh, Justin Roberts, pretty memorable moment on raw. what did you think of the creative? This is the first time in a long time. I felt like there was a little bit of buzz online. I think I was in a timeout at that point. I'm not sure. I, I didn't, uh, I don't, I remember it. I do remember it. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but I don't remember a lot. So I wasn't there when Lawler got beat up. They probably beat me up too. Uh, I guess he used Matt Stryker as JR's surrogate getting his ass whipped guy. Uh, it was a same deal. Conrad, we're trying to get new guys over. Hence, why are we having over and over again? Cena, Orton, Cena, uh, uh, edge, Cena, Batista. We got to get more talent over. We got to, we got to develop new stars. It's not a matter. We want to move Cena out. You want to add, add to his, you want to add to his uh, positioning. 
with other guys that he could, he could theoretically uh, go against. I think Wade Barrett was the, was the leader of that group, as we know, and we had high hopes for him and to be a Cena opponent someday as a top heel. Daniel Bryant was a sleeper, the best worker of the whole goddamn group without question. Uh, and there were some good workers in that group. You know, Heath Slater's a good worker, but, uh, was, the goal is always to create new stars. And that's what we were trying to do with, uh, with Nexus. And of course it got, uh, Daniel Bryan in trouble for using a, was it a necktie? He strangled Justin Roberts with a necktie, which probably got him over. Uh, but anyway, it got him released. A, that's what it got him. Yeah. But eventually, of course, we know it has a happy ending for him. Nexus though, would eventually cost Cena the title at a fatal four way against Sheamus and also cost him the rematch at uh, money in the bank pay-per-view. And then Cena starts to create his own stable to fight Nexus and it includes edge Jericho, R-Truth, John Morrison, great colleague, and believe it or not, Brent Hart. And it leads to a match between the two teams at SummerSlam 2010. Of course, the team WWE with John Cena gets the win 35 minutes and 19 seconds. A lot of fans over the years have felt like this Nexus group had more steam and maybe they killed the two prematurely. What say you? Yeah, I don't think we got all the juice out of the fruit there whatsoever. Not even close, but the thing it did was it recognized the talents, the talents that, ele- that, uh, uh, the cream rose to the top. Sure. Uh, so, and, and, and I'm speaking specifically of uh, Daniel Bryan, the former five feet, eight world and WWE champion. And so he, again, broke molds, no pun intended, but I, I don't think it was a failure, but I do think as a faction, uh, it was, it had a lot of potential to, for, for more miles. I'm not sure why it, it, it slowed up. Uh, but that let's say this. That team in Nexus wasn't all equal. There were stars in that team and there were other guys on that team. And, uh, that might've been part of the issue. It's hard to book for five guys. Yeah. Well, there's there's a lot of heat here and it gives Cena someone to sort of rail against and overcome. And, you know, this is knee deep in the, uh, let's go Cena. Cena sucks chance Mm -hmm. as a, as a wrestling announcer, what'd you think of the sort of dueling chance that started to really become common in this era? the hardcore Cena fans chanting, let's go Cena. And of course, seemingly a lot of, uh, a lot of guys, my age chanting Cena sucks. Uh, you can't ignore it because it's, it's audible. You can, you can hear it. So we didn't, you know, I think Lawler probably of our team was more, he a little bit more heelish. You know, he could, uh, he could, he, he addressed that pretty good more often than not. I, I did address it obviously, cause you can't ignore it. But nothing particular. You, you always wondered why are we, uh, why are these fans booing John Cena? What has he done to them, to to merit this these boos? Well, I think he's he's been overexposed. I think that he's been given too many chances to be the champion. You win it, you lose it. You win it, you lose it. I think people got tired of that. So I think the booking of John Cena had everything to do with why you know let's go Cena. Cena sucks. Uh, quite honestly, but you couldn't ignore it. No, you could not ignore it. I mean, it took over and it, it created a fun atmosphere for live events. Uh, after this, uh, SummerSlam showdown, Cena would face Wade Barrett at the hell in a cell pay-per-view and the stipulations are 
Uh, if he loses, he's got to join Nexus. And if he wins, Nexus will disband. Barrett picks up a win and he joins Nexus. So then Cena and fellow Nexus member, David Otunga would defeat Cody and Drew McIntyre to win the tag titles of bragging rights. And later that night, he's forced to help Barrett, uh, defeat Orton in a WWE championship match, giving Barrett the DQ win, but not the title. The following night on raw Cena and Otunga lose the tag titles to fellow Nexus members, Heath Slater and Justin Gabriel. When Barrett orders Otunga to lay down and lose the match at survivor series, Cena officiates a match for the world title. Uh, between Wade Barrett and Randy Orton and per the steps, if Barrett didn't win the championship, Cena would be fired from the WWE. Of course, Orton defeats Barrett to retain, which means Cena is fired in storyline. Of course, the next night Cena is giving a farewell speech on raw before costing Wade Barrett, the WWE title by interfering in his rematch with Randy Orton. And a week later, Cena invades raw first as a spectator, but then attacks members of Nexus explaining he would still take down Nexus one by one, despite not being employed by WWE anymore. What'd you think of this creative? He, he didn't work here. But he's going to take down Nexus one by one. Uh, strictly showbiz. The, the entertainment side of sports entertainment, very illogical. You're not going to let a guy that doesn't work for you create a, a liability issue. And if he was, well, it's wrestling, JR. Come on. It's wrestling. Yeah, it is wrestling and wrestling should be reality based. And that particular storyline was not reality-based. It was illogical. And illogical angles don't resonate with me very long. On the December 13th Raw, Cena is rehired by Barra in exchange that he would face him at the TLC pay-per-view, which, of course, Cena wins. And Cena would eventually manipulate the group to make him the leader and then kick Barrett out of the group. Um, and that's sort of winding things down for Nexus. Uh, let's get to the Royal rumble, 2011 Cena's in the match. He comes in at number 22, but he's ultimately eliminated by the Miz. Uh, and the next month at the elimination pay-per-view Cena wins, which makes him the number one contender and gives him a title shot against Miz at WrestleMania 27. But we start to see the seeds of a rock Cena feud, which you'd see over the next few years, rock made some comments about John. And then John replied on the February 21st raw. These guys are sort of jaw jacking with each other. And this is in advance of Cena's world title shot against Miz. What'd you think of that creative? It feels like it's a deviation, almost acknowledging, Hey, we know this year's WrestleMania isn't very big, but stay tuned. Something big is coming, but oh yeah, I still buy the pay-per-view. Yeah. Uh, bad positioning. I thought, uh, it, it could, it took a dump on Miz. It does. Cause at, at one time Miz was the. You know, he was the, the, uh, kind of the anointed one. He was one of the guys that Vince liked. He liked his look. He liked his attitude. You know, Mike was another guy. Mike, Mike Mazzano was another guy that would do whatever he needed. He'd never turn nothing down as far as appearances and appearances and things of that nature, a, a company guy, just like he is now. And uh, I saw where he's going to start a new TV show in USA. Do you see the promote promos of that? I have. Yeah. Yeah. Miz. I didn't know that project was even in the works, but good for him. You know, he's, he's building a life outside of bunking and that's smart. Uh, he's following the lead of a lot of guys that we're, we're, we're talking about right now. Uh, but, uh, I, I thought that, uh, I thought that John, uh, and John that, that I would not have done that. I would have, I would have had, I would have got seen, oh, or excuse me. I got Miz over more and more and more Then he gets the rub off of, uh, Cena. And that's one of the scenarios, Conrad, where 
if they have a classic match, if they're able to have a classic match, if the match is laid out to be classic, then Miz losing is not disaster. He got a great rub. He was the champion. He went on last to WrestleMania, blah, blah, blah. Uh, he lost a lot of sizzle after that. He never got over the hump. Uh, in my estimation, you can't compete against the rock. If the rock becomes involved in the conversation regarding John Cena and the WWE title, you, you just took a great big old, uh, juicy dump on whomever was a champion and, who, and who's going on now with Cena. And that was Miz in that character, in that situation didn't work out well. Now to build the, they took a year to build rock and Cena. I like that. But I wish it had started a little bit after th- that <laughs> WrestleMania. You yeah, know? definitely. Rock was the guest host of that one. This is the one from Atlanta. As a reminder, uh, on the way to this WrestleMania, we even see Cena and Miz briefly team up and win the tag titles, but lose them right away. But sort of the go home episode, as we're getting ready for WrestleMania 27, we're promised a, a, a confrontation between The Rock, who's the host of the show, and John Cena. Uh, of course, Miz is here for it, but he is just sort of in the background. Let's get to WrestleMania 27. Again, rock is the host. Miz is going to defeat John Cena to retain the world title in 15 minutes and 18 seconds. It gets a star in a quarter. Meltzer would say the crowd didn't really react to the finish as they were confused. They were happy Cena lost. They were happy rock got back at Cena, but it was such a heel move that they didn't cheer it either. Miz is celebrating in the ring and rock starts punching him around, gives him a spine buster and a people's elbow to end the show. This is a weird finish to WrestleMania. Is it not? Yeah. It's all about the rock. Yeah. It's all about a year from now. Again, uh, there's ways that that could have been worked out. Uh, you know, that, that's the way it could have been worked out a little differently, no doubt. But, uh, it was, it was awkward. It was awkwardly booked. And the, you want to protect Cena, but above all, you want to make sure the rock has got that shine on him and the, he's standing square in the spotlight. And that was accomplished. Pretty remarkable. The next night they announced that the WrestleMania 28 main event is going to be rock and Cena. We've got both guys here doing promos on each other. Uh, but a year ahead of time, this is, uh, kind of ballsy. I mean. Mm-hmm. Rock at any point could have his schedule changed for major, major, major Hollywood commitments, but we're announcing it a year out. Did you feel that was risky on Vince's part? Yeah, it was risky, but the fact you just mentioned it, Rock, Rock's an ambitious schedule of movie making. Uh, there was a window that he was available to be on WWE television. And that window was going to close because of his immense schedule. Uh, he's not going to quit making massive money. That has led him to become the highest earner in Hollywood the last couple of years right at it. Uh, you're not going to ask him to quit that to do a wrestling angle. You're just not, it's, it, it's, it, it's totally stupid. If he did that, it would be, and he wouldn't, and rock would not have done that. He, he's got commitments and he's going to keep those commitments and keep building that career. His career at long-term was not going to be in wrestling, but he was willing to come back and help, uh, and, and to try to pop a number. Uh, sell a lot of pay-per-views, sell a lot of tickets and merch, et cetera, et cetera. Brock is also a great marketer. He knew that getting back on that major spotlight, uh, was going to be good for his career, reinvigorating him, his image to the wrestling fans who've loved him. And they buy, Hey, look, wrestling fans buy movie tickets. 
they support things that our guys do and the wrestling guys do. So uh, I, I understood what they, they were trying to strike while the iron was hot and while Rock was available because having him back on television was going to be uh, a little bit erratic just simply because of his schedule. Well, it's, it's notable that it's a year out. I mean, even when, when we fans could sort of guess maybe back during the eighties, what WrestleMania was going to be the next year. I don't know that we ever knew a whole year out. Uh, next up though, is extreme rules. Cena's is going to defeat the Miz and John Morrison to become WWE champion. Then he goes on to successfully defend the title against Miz at over the limit in an I quit match and our truth at capital punishment. But then he starts a feud with CM Punk. And that really gets kicked off in a big way on the infamous pipe bomb promo in June, pretty remarkable piece of business here. We know the payoff is going to be the money in the bank match in Chicago. Cena is going to win the title from John Cena and quote unquote, leave the company because his contract is up, even though he's champion behind the scenes. Of course he did resign. But this pipe bomb promo really breathed a lot of new life into the WWE television product and really lit up this John Cena, CM Punk feud in a major way. Did it not? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It worked. CM Punk was a lightning rod. I, I, sometimes, you know, we don't talk, uh, we haven't talked a lot about CM Punk uh, lately. Uh, and, but he, he, his impact on WWE was, uh, just simply spectacular. And he got over big time, got over, uh, you know, and I just, I think that Cena, him working with Cena and being involved in that didn't hurt, uh, uh, CM Punk whatsoever. Uh, I, I just, I think it introduced CM Punk to the world in a, in a large sense to this degree. And Cena was right there to help usher that, that era in. And I, cause I'm a big proponent of CM Punk, you know, if there's, if I could pick one guy to have a big pay-per-view match in AEW right now, it would be CM Punk. He is a lightning rod. People love him. They believe in him. He's organically grown. And John Cena helped that, uh, that growth. He watered that plant that grew like crazy. And, uh, and I think that's, a uh, something very spectacular, but, uh, CM Punk became relevant because there was something that John Cena had that CM Punk wanted in a real believable way. And it worked. Let me mention too, if you're going to go back and watch some matches from John to sort of relive the big moments, this is one I would recommend the money in the bank. We, we mentioned one night stand six with, with his losing effort to Van Dam. What a hostile crowd. It was more of the same, just an unreal atmosphere here for money in the bank, 2011. Uh, we should also mention. Uh, after Rey Mysterio wins the WWE championship in a tournament, John Cena challenges and defeats him later that night to become WWE champion for a record breaking ninth time. Yeah. See, I didn't get the, that's a, that's the Ric Flair curse. Everybody, they think to be over and to be immortal, uh, to be legendary, to be whatever, whatever you got to have more title wins than Flair who won 16 or 19 or whatever the number is this week. We know 16, that's what he's advertised as a 16 time champion, nothing wrong with that, but that 16 time champion thing, Conrad, the difference in that and the difference in the Cena's, uh, frequent title losses and wins was the timeframe. Flair was a 16 time champion over decades. He just went boom, 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 boom. You know, it's who's the champion this week. I thought, let's look and see. Oh, Flair lost last week in Sheboygan. 
it's not that way. So uh, that's where I, I look at that deal. I think we've talked a lot about in this in this discussion here today how many title changes that Cena was involved in. And I think that at the end of the day, that was a big negative for John. Let's talk about that because it has become a hotly debated thing. He's tied Ric Flair's record. A lot of fans assumed when he got to 16, oh, they're going to break Flair's record. Of course, most wrestling historians would say, well, he was champion more than 16 times. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But once WWE started calling him 16 time world champion, it just became the thing. I mean, Flair even signs autographs 16 X now. Do you think if someone was going to beat John uh, or Ric Flair's record, because at this point for better or worse, WWE is sort of the, the purveyor of wrestling history. And when they say this is the most decorated, if they say it enough, it becomes the thing. Do you think John Cena wants to be that guy? Or do you think that that is a record that Vince will sort of leave alone and and sort of earmark for flair? Hmm. Uh, I was always surprised Triple H didn't have that record. I think a lot of people are, and I'm not so sure that's over. What about that? Okay. And, uh, but what would, would, did John fill the shoes? Nobody's going to fill the shoes of the nature. Come on. Sure. Inside, outside 24, seven, he was a nature boy. Uh, and, and so I don't know anybody's ever going to top that his image and what he meant to the championship. But if anybody were going to be that anointed, the 17 time champion, let's say, uh, John Cena would have been uh, the leading candidate, but I think it was much to do about nothing. I, I don't, is, it, was it to honor for Rick or was it to discredit his championships? Was it to honor Nate or was it to, uh, uh, lessen his NWA WCW runs as a champion? Sometimes I almost thought. It was the latter. And I didn't like that attitude. If it were true, I didn't, I don't think that's the right thing to do, but nonetheless, to me, it uh, became much to do about nothing. And then because anytime you got a 16 time champion and you're talking about that a lot, you've established that number. So then when you have, oh, John Cena's a nine time champion. Well, that means he's got, he's seven behind Rick. He's seven worse than flair. Well, does that help him? I don't think so. As we mentioned, uh, the promo here is going to be cut off by CM Punk, who's also claiming to be the champion. So they're going to have a unification match at SummerSlam. Punk gets the win. Let's fast forward to October of 2011. You return to raw and team with John Cena to beat Michael Cole and Alberto Del Rio. What the hell is this, Jim? A shitty bookie. (laughs) Mexico city too. high altitude. Older guy, out of shape, that'd be me. Michael Cole, probably not so out of shape, but he had no skills. Neither did I, by the way. It's not like I'm trying to pass myself off as Dory Jr. here. Uh, but it was just, it was an angle to uh, marry Cena and uh, Alberto. It, but it's like turning Austin Hill in, in Houston. You're trying to get the fans who already had a, a, a polarizing view of John Cena in Alberto's quote unquote hometown made no sense. And I can just tell you that I was nervous. I didn't feel good about the match. I didn't feel like I was in, 
my conditioning was not good. Obviously I didn't train for this. I just, booking came up. Hey, we need you to go to Mexico city. You're going to have a tag match with Cena and gets Cole and Alberto. What? This a rib? You kidding me? So, uh, that's what we did. And, and it was just a, it was a, it was a, it was a, a grab ass booking. It was just grabbing at as you grabbing at straws. And, uh, I, I didn't, I don't, I, I'm embarrassed that I was even involved in that because I'm so, I was so bad at it. And you got two really, really top talents in Cena and Alberto. They didn't deserve to carry our ass around me and Cole, not at all, but it was a, it was just not good. But I will say this. I, I remember I had a little bitty, uh, cubicle thing that I was dressing in, uh, to get ready for this, uh, magnificent performance. And John comes in and sits down he called me sooner, sooner. You all right. Yeah, you know, I don't, John, I don't feel good about this thing. I don't, I'm not any skills. You know, I'm just gonna make you look bad. No, it's not. It's going to be fine. So he, he gave me more comfort than anybody that I ever worked with, uh, in the ring, in a ring scenario that, and I didn't, you know, you know, all these, these different matches I was in, I used to turn matches very, very loosely, but he was the guy that gave me the most time, the most concern. He, he worked it out to where I didn't have to do a lot because I couldn't do a lot, but what I could do was a couple of things, you know, throw a shitty punch, uh, whatever sell. Uh, but nonetheless, he was, the, he was really good. And I'll always appreciate that because the, 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 uh, I was worried about the altitude. I was worried about my conditioning. I didn't want to have a fucking heart attack. You know, I didn't want to embarrass myself again, which was, I think part of the plan. Uh, so. I went out and did the best I could, but as, as for what it was, if it had any redeeming social or wrestling qualities, it's because John Cena pulled my ass through end of story. Let's talk about, uh, the next thing you're involved with. I guess we should mention you're not doing much commentary around this era. So let's get to WrestleMania 28, where you did return to call undertaker triple H and a hell in a cell match. That's also the night that. John Cena finally has his match with the rock. Uh, they go 30 minutes, 33 seconds. Meltzer would say this felt like by the numbers and well laid out. And, uh, when it was all said and done, he gave it three and three quarter stars. It's worth mentioning, I guess that, uh, quote. So the story was that in the end, Cena was the one who got cocky and it cost him the match. The place exploded. This was an excellently laid out match. And the guys were good enough to overcome their weaknesses and pull it off. Cena wasn't the smoothest and rock got really tired in the end. You could see rock rubbing Cena's head to thank him for the match. Rock goes over. What'd you think? Well, he had to go over the year build and I'm sure that's part of the deal. You know, it would, would do this program. You commit to us for next year. We'll make sure you're taken care of. You're not going to have a guy commit for a year and work out a massive payday, which you know, was there millions for that one day's work. And it's really not one day's work, but you know what I'm saying? Uh, you know what I'm saying? The, uh, uh, but you, you can't say, well, we're going to do this thing. And Oh, by the way, we want, we want you to put Cena over. You can do that, but not that one. So I, I, uh, I thought the match was solid. I thought it had great sizzle. It may have had more sizzle than steak simply because of the, <clears throat> the reasons that Meltzer outlined conditioning. You know, those guys <clears throat> rock, maybe blowing up a little bit. I didn't notice it so much, but I know that it was an issue. Uh, it didn't affect the performance of the match other than it just 
was a little bit more deliberate than both those guys have, have been historically worked. But, uh, I thought again, did John Cena get recognized as one of the top stars in the entire world again, even though he lost to the rock? Absolutely. Absolutely. The performance is what it's all about. Not right. the, not just the one, two, three. We should mention this was promoted as, uh, almost like a dream match and a one-time only type of thing. Of course we know they did a rematch the very next year. I mean, do you know if that was already the plan or did they not know until they got closer to this one that, Hey, we're going to, we're going to do this again next year. I'm sure it was discussed because you have to discuss those kind of things with Dwayne. Right. Cause the schedule. Oh, oh, by the way, we're going to book you next year at WrestleMania. Well, I can't do it next year because I'm doing, you know, uh, whatever, one of his great movies. Uh, fast and furious series or whatever it may be. I don't know, but you know, something, everything he does is big. So, uh, I think they had to work ahead. So I'm sure that going into, you don't book a match with rock and Cena without booking the finish. Then you know, who's going over. You don't might not know all the machinations. We're going to do 20 minutes, 30 minutes. We're going to do this or that, whatever that could be worked out, but you know, your destination is to get rock over Cena in that match. So to have, and to be able to work a return again in a next, in a year, makes it very unique, very novel. Uh, you got to know something about what you're going to do finish wise. Where are, what is our destination? What is our eventual home for this storyline? And I'm sure they had that, uh, that down. And, and, uh, again, if nothing else, Conrad, you had to do it because of rocks schedule. You knew when WrestleMania was going to be, he's got to circle that date. There's got to be a few TVs leading into it. And, uh. So that was the deal there. I think, uh, you know, rock was, everybody was aware, everybody was informed, not everybody, but most people were informed uh, that needed to know what the, what the overall plan was going to be. Let's, uh, let's wrap things up here. I guess we should mention that, uh, SummerSlam 2013 uh, is the next really big show. We've got Daniel Bryan and John Cena. With Triple H as the special guest referee, of course, he's a part of the authority. And we know that after Daniel Bryan wins the world title, um, he's going to catch a pedigree from Triple H. Randy Orton's going to cash in. Randy Orton becomes your new world champion, beating Daniel Bryan. And we're set for WrestleMania 30 now. And, and what a big moment that will be. But SummerSlam 13 is where it really sort of comes to an end for yourself and WWE. And I'm sure we'll talk about that another time and, and the subsequent return. Let's talk about his legacy though. John Cena, you know, he's obviously still making some waves with the firefly Funhouse match just a couple of months ago, and he's getting more and more roles in Hollywood. He's obviously trying to follow, you know, the rock and Batista who went before him to Hollywood. How do you think that works out for him? Good. He's doing great commercials. He's making a bunch of money on some major commercials he's doing. Uh, and you know, I've watched, uh, I, I've watched every movie John's ever made cause I'm a fan of his. Uh, so yeah, he's, he's following that the rock kind of broke the mold, but maybe Hogan broke the mold. Maybe it was Hogan that started all this movie stuff back in the day. Right. With, you, with you know, Rocky. so yeah. I can't, you can't leave him out of this discussion, quite frankly. Sure. But I think that, uh, uh, there's a, there's a road to success in Hollywood through wrestling. And did the WWE, uh, in particular, cause they're the biggest dog in the old yard. Uh, so yeah, I think that, uh, John's doing a great job. The movie roles he's selecting 
are quality roles. They're not just Jake leg. You know, this, we'll see this movie when at the drive-in, you know, these are major films he's doing and the, you know, I saw, he did a, a very nice little role, very simple, but it stood out when the ladies are watching, I think, take out the trash or something, you know, uh, on maybe hefty trash bags or something like that, but he's got quality advertisers. So he's got good representation. You know, he's not going to be a pain in the ass to work with. You know that he's, he's going to have the same work ethic he had when he was in WWE full time. So uh, Hollywood got him another star, uh, thanks to the, the process of WWE. And, uh, and I'm, and I'm, and John's, I don't, I don't see John ever coming back for any kind of full-time role or multiple appearance things. I think it'll always keep it special, occasional type thing. And generally I'm thinking probably around a WrestleMania time, he may become like the undertaker where he works, works only a WrestleMania program. Uh, and that's pretty much it. Who knows? We'll see. Time will tell. He'll always be in shape. He'll always be open-minded. Hey, he had to be open-minded to do the Firefly Funhouse. Oh, yeah. that ain't that ain't easy, right? So uh, I'm a big Cena fan, quite frankly. I, I've always respected John, and I I love the human being that he is. Well, it's hard not to, you know, if you meet John Cena, you like John Cena, and we hope that you guys did because we took to Twitter at Jr. Grilling and said, "Hey, he's been a polarizing figure and company standard bearer for years." On an upcoming Grilling Jr., we discussed the one and only John Cena. Have question for at JR's BBQ, leave them in the replies here and use hashtag ask JR. And we're inviting you to participate next week uh, because we're going to be back to talk backlash 2000. And if you've got a question about that show, follow us at JR grilling. We should also mention before we get to these Twitter questions that we've got three new bonus episodes already posted at adfreeshows.com. Uh, at the end of March, we posted the plane ride from hell story, which I don't think has ever been done as thoroughly as we did, uh, at adfreeshows.com. And uh, a couple of notable lines in there include something like, you know, uh, when that plane took off, Mr. Perfect had a job. Uh, <laughs> we've also got a hashtag ask JR anything where some of our supporters at adfreeshows got to pick Jim's brain. Uh, and then last week we posted a whole episode on the releases from WWE, where while we were in the middle of recording, we found out that we lost Howard Finkel. All of that is available and you would have gotten this show early and ad free over at adfreeshows.com. Lots of fun bonus stuff coming your way later this year, including some smoky mountain, including some, uh, mid South, uh, lots of old school stuff. Stay tuned to adfreeshows.com. Jim, let's get to Twitter. Let's do a couple of these rapid fire. John Cena questions. Are you ready? Yes, sir. A uh, friend of the show, Nick wants to know, did you ever pitch a heel turn to John? or discuss a character change when some of the crowd began to rebel against him. I never pitched it to him. No, uh, because the data that uh, we could, we could obtain and utilize like, uh, simply put the merchandise sales, uh, things of that nature, they were always somewhat babyface oriented, not as much today, but in that era, certainly it was, I didn't see any reason to, to take, you know, to lessen the opportunity to keep selling merchandise. And I also knew, and as I, as I told you earlier, that I thought that the booing of John Cena was because, uh, we overexposed him and the fact that he kept getting chance after chance after chance. And uh, that was kind of like the Roman Reigns thing. It, it was the wrong positioning and somebody wasn't paying attention. I don't know how many title changes we've talked about in this show today, A lot. but way, way down too many, right? Yeah. Owen would write in, was Cena pushed too hard in your opinion? Yeah, I think I just answered that. You did. Yeah. And 
You also answered James Stewart's question. What was your favorite rivalry? CM Punk, Edge, Randy Orton, The Rock, Triple H, Jericho, Brock, someone else. You still going Edge? Well, none of those are bad. No. Any of them are bad. I mean, it's like, it's just not. But for me, the cre- the chemistry connection, the chemistry with Edge and, uh, and, uh, 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 and John was just to my liking. And I like the others too, but there is something about that. And maybe because I like both guys a lot more, maybe that was my mistake or my issue. I don't know, but I really liked uh, edge and uh, Cena's work. Never saw him have a bad match. Uh, Adam writes in, forget the smart fans that boo him. Where do you put John Cena on the list of all time baby faces? Oh, top five. Yeah. I don't think that's hard to argue. No, he's, I mean. I, I don't know what all time, what's that means? That mean forever and ever and a day. I don't know. I don't, but nonetheless, in my personal top five, baby faces, John Cena would de- definitively be on that list. Mayhem writes in was Arn picked as John's main agent or did it just work out that way? It probably just worked out that way. Then all of a sudden they developed some chemistry. Then all of a sudden John goes to Vince says, I want Arn to, to agent my matches. And that's what he got. You got to listen to your talent. And if having Arn Anderson, who has a great podcast here on the, on the Podfathers network on Tuesdays, uh, you, that ain't a bad, that ain't a bad move for John because, uh, they had similar philosophies, fundamental soundness, logic, uh, when they could, when they could get by with it. Uh, and so I think like it worked out that way. And then, and then as John made the request, which I assume that he did, I'd bet money on it. Then Vince was happy to acquiesce and say, you bet you got him. This is sort of almost a sports analogy here with this question. Steve writes in, did John Cena suffer because he didn't have enough talent around him? Was this the real cause of the booze? And I think what, what he's hinting at here, Steve is, is maybe because Vince didn't feel like he had another star to that level. He just always went back to it and maybe in a different era where maybe there was someone else sort of on equal footing with him. Maybe these booze wouldn't have been as prevalent. It wouldn't have felt like he was quote unquote shoved down our throats. I think, uh, we had a situation Conrad where, uh, John was overexposed. I think we had a situation where he, we have a baby face territory and, and the, the company could be faulted. Perhaps, uh, I could say, make an argument for that, that we didn't do a great job of lining them up. It was the same guys that were getting in that same lineup, you know, the same guys we talked about and, uh, and we needed some more diversity. Uh, for that scenario. So maybe the heel factory aspect of the John Cena, uh, a build and a run, uh, was not up to par. Uh, somebody, I could see somebody making a very valid argument about that, quite frankly, but, uh, that the heel factory has got to be in place and we had the guys to do it, but I don't know if it was personalities. I don't know if it's politics, whatever. It just seemed like we're going back to the same faces time and time again. And, uh, I, I, I think that hurt John in the, in the long run. And I don't understand why we did it. Bill Snowden writes in, if <clears throat> WWE were ever going to have pulled the trigger on John Cena turning heel, how do you think they could have done it? I always liked the idea of turning Cena heel by cheating to end the undertaker streak at WrestleMania. What say you? Well, that'd been a hell of a way to do it. You know, if that's, if that's your, you pick your poison in that regard, you to turn, to turn John Cena heel. It was going to have to be a logical, well thought out storyline. And it's got to enter. And John would have to have interacted with 
whoever the hottest upcoming baby face was on the roster, or like you said, uh, or this, this our, 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 our guest said, uh, taker WrestleMania. Uh, and you know, I don't, I sometimes wonder about that. Did taker losing to Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania really mean did it change the course of time? It really didn't. Did it make Brock Lesnar this legend? It, well, it, it, it helped, but it, it really didn't. So I don't know, but it's not a bad idea, but to turn Cena heel, it had to be a logical storyline against somebody that was on the uptick, the uptick that's going upward. And, uh, it might've worked that, that regard, but I never would have endorsed it personally. It's same theory that I had about with Austin in WrestleMania 17. I just didn't think it was the right timing and Cena for Cena. We haven't had the right timing. Uh, he, he should never be, he'll never be a heel in my estimation. I think he'll make, he's one of the guys that will make it completely through his career without being a substantial villain in pro wrestling. The Rosen coaster writes in, who was the one star who you think benefited the most from working with John Cena? Oh my goodness. Uh, well, edge and Orton come to mind real quickly. Uh, I think they'd probably be two guys at the top of my list. CM Punk too, you know, CM Punk well, was that, always yep. a favorite of mine, but yep. know, in order for there to be this underdog us against the people, you've got to have someone be, you know, the people or the man. And if it's us against them, you know, I mean, even in the promos, Punk compared him to the New York Yankees. And, and I felt like, you know, the Punk's character at the time needed somebody to rebel against and who better mm-hmm. than Cena. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Good point. Conrad. That's why you're the pod father, you bastard. <laughs> uh, no, that's a good point. Uh, he, he helped a lot of guys. We, we talked you know, back at this, he helped Carlito, right? I mean, he right. put the title on him. Yeah. He helped edge. He helped Orton. He, he, uh, he, he did the honors for the rock. He never turned down the opportunity to do what the company thought was right. And that was at that point in time. He, John losing so that somebody he lost to that person he lost to could elevate their own career and become more valuable to the WWE. Always the team player. Dismal abysmal writes in Matt Stryker once said in an interview that he once sat down with Cena at catering and asked him how he was holding up. And Cena said he was so used to giving advice and being asked to put in a good word for people that he was genuinely touched that someone was asking about his day. How likely do you think that story is? I could see that happening. I could too. Yeah. I could see that happening because the great guys like that are taken for granted. Oftentimes you're making all this money. You're getting the big push. You got 88 t-shirts and 72 foam fingers and the spinner belt and a dinner belt and all that shit, whatever. What about, you know, why not me? So John was always went out of his way to help other people, but he was taken for granted a lot, a lot because he wasn't a bitcher and a moaner and a complainer. If he had been a, a harder to deal with person, some of those m- multiple title changes more than likely would not have occurred. Noble writes in, why wasn't John Cena and undertaker at WrestleMania ever a high priority? Couldn't tell you. It seems like a natural thing, but you know, it may be in a scenario where Vince didn't want to beat either guy at that point in time. If that was, and it was a good reason not to have it. All right, Jim, before we wrap this up. A lot of the questions are about John Cena's charity work and his merchandise sales and all the reasons that he was really, uh, the baby face that could never turn heel. 
but the make a wish thing, which you touched on at the top of the show, I mean, I think he's granted more wishes than anybody in the history of that program at this point, they can't turn him heel and still have him do that type of thing. Right. I, I don't, it doesn't make sense to me. And right. I think that everybody agreed with that. And I'm sure John had some input on that as well. Making these wishes for these terminally ill children in make a wish is very important to John Cena. It's not just a gimmick to get a nice photo op. Uh, it's not that he's done hundreds and hundreds of these that never made air. He was never looking to make get publicity out of helping terminally ill children. It's still important to him. So that's a good reason. It's the right reason. It, it has never made organic sense for John Cena to become a heel. Sorry, folks. You can Cena sucks. Cena go, let's go Cena, Cena suck. All you want to say, it's all you, you're, you paid your money. You got in. So say what you want, but no way that John Cena, in my estimation, if I uh, had the old pencil, my eraser would never work on moving him to the heel side. Would never have happened. And it didn't thank God. Two more things before we wrap it up. Um, earlier this year, I guess for the last few years, Alex Riley, former WWE superstar has talked about his heat with John Cena. And he's essentially saying, Hey, he just didn't like me. And there's not going to be much of a spot for me with WWE. As long as he doesn't like me. And there's been rumors over the years that John became a bit of a politician, whether he was lobbying for, you know, something with Mr. Kennedy or something with Alex Riley, or even on behalf of his at the time, then girlfriend, Nikki Bella, when you hear these rumblings about John Cena, the politician, is that someone just trying to take what maybe they've heard about major figures in wrestling history from a bygone era and applying it to John? Or do you think there may be, you know, smoke to that fire? And if anybody deserves the opportunity to make requests, it's John Cena. Yeah. Somebody looking for bullshit. It's really, he's should he have had influence behind the scenes. Absolutely. You encourage your top guys who've attained that success to give, to give back to the company in a variety of ways. One of those things is leadership, being a mentor, providing ideas, give encouraging talents, coaching them up, et cetera, et cetera. And John did a great job of that. Uh, and look, if I had a girlfriend that looked like Nikki Bella, would I try to push for her to get a, a push to get her a, uh, a, a better gig or more exposure? Hell yeah. You crazy. Of course I would. It's going to be Vince's call at the end of the day, but bottom line, I never saw her in a position and her sister that, uh, they didn't fit. I mean, they weren't skilled wrestlers. They weren't Jackie Moore. They weren't Becky Lynch or Charlotte. They were attractions. So, but, so I never heard that John never, I don't think John ever used his influence in a negative way to help somebody that didn't deserve the help. Did he help some people? Hell yeah. But I think they all deserve the opportunity to get recognized. And all he did was say, Hey, I think we could do some business with this person or you could do some business with this person and his opinion counted. And so he utilized it. Nothing wrong with that. Well, we know what's next for John. He's still uh, working in Hollywood and he's cranked out quite a few movies. Jim, what's your favorite John Cena movie so far? I just watched one the other day. Uh, the one, I think maybe it's called the Marine. Yeah, that's a good he, one. He come, he came back from, uh, Afghanistan or something like that. And his wife had been kidnapped, you know, a, a very simplistic formula, but it really, uh, I enjoyed the, the cast. The lead heel in it, uh, Robert something is really good. He played off John very well. So he had a good booking there. He had a top heel that got over and was a bad guy. And then he had the, the, the husband who just served his country. 
trying to find his wife, you know, and he'd been gone and serving the country, blah, blah, blah. I thought that was a pretty good film. He's an action adventure guy until I saw the one the other day, uh, where he played the role of the, the father that, uh, what's it, what was that call Conrad? It's really good. He played the father, uh, of a teenager and this little neighborhood where they're, I can't remember the name oh. of the damn thing. I'm sad. I'm sorry. Should I? <laughs> no, well, I, I don't know, know the name of it. No, I don't no, know the no. name of the fucking lot of movies, but no. I can't remember it. It's a very funny movie. He's done good work. He has good agent. He has good representation and he's very picky. I'm sure about what he selects to be in. So, uh, I think, uh, I think he's, he's got a great future. It's, just, it's all about the roles. Look at the roles the rock gets their roles that he can make work. There are roles that he feels comfortable in executing. Same thing with Cena as he gets more tenure has more hits, more success in Hollywood, that he'll be getting the same kind of roles that rock got roles that fit his character and his personality. The movie, proud the guy, proud the movie the you were referencing is blockers and it's insinuating yeah. cock blockers. It's yeah. That's it. Blockers. A bunch of teenagers who are trying to hook up for the first time and their parents are trying to intervene. Pretty funny stuff. But the Marine, yeah. the first one you mentioned, I think that's on like Hulu and Amazon right now. That was his first like big time movie. And it's from WWE films. And I think it's probably, uh, to this day, the, the movie that as far as all the stuff that WWE films has put out, it's probably the one most universally liked. I think it's from like Oh six or Oh seven, something like that. So it's been out a long time. Uh, but if you're looking for something to watch and you want to sort of double down on John Cena, uh, and celebrate his birthday today, then by all means crank out the Marine, I recommend it. And, and, and Jim does too. So two yep. thumbs up from us. Yep, absolutely. It's a fun, it's a fun, easy watch and the family can watch it. It's got action. it's action adventure, but I don't, I think it's probably PG, maybe PG 13. I'm not sure, but it's, it's, uh, it's the family can watch it and, and enjoy it. So I think that's an important thing. It's kind of like we talked about big shows, uh, uh, sitcom on Netflix, the family can watch it. And so, and you got small children, uh, like many of us had in our lifetime, thank God. You got to be careful of that stuff. So a John Cena movie normally is going to be family friendly. That's my knowledge. And, and next year it's going to get turned up. You know, you sort of talked about, Hey, he's going to follow in the rock's footsteps. Well, how about he already has fast and the furious. That movie was supposed to come out this year. The ninth movie in that franchise, it's going to come out next year. He'll play one of the main characters, Dom's brother, Jacob. And uh, also next year will be the suicide squad where John Cena has a role in it. And, and these are two big time, huge Hollywood movies. And, uh, I expect that this is just the beginning of John Cena, but maybe that's the end of his in-ring career. What do you think, uh, his legacy will be in professional wrestling when it's all said and done officially? Uh, one of the top five baby faces in the history of WWE without a doubt, Un hands down. And, uh, a, a personal favorite of mine because of his character and his work ethic and his integrity. Uh, uh, you never had to worry about John Cena, uh, make embarrassing the company, uh, outside or inside of the, uh, of the cocoon. So, uh, he's without a doubt. I mean, and that's saying he's a top five baby face of WWE history. That includes Bruno Hogan, Austin rock undertaker, all these dudes. He belongs in that same uh, conversation, top five at worst. In my estimation, I'm not going to name the top five cause it's so subjective. These lists don't mean shit anyway, but, uh, cause what are you basing it on? What criteria? My criteria personally, John Cena is an all time top fiver. 
Uh, he's a, he's going to be a great hall of famer and that'll draw a big, that'll, that'll be something special when that, when that returns. Uh, so, but nonetheless, uh, just a hell of a guy, MVP kind of a guy, man, just MVP in the ring, MVP in life, uh, all the respect in the world, John, for you and, and, uh, and what you've accomplished. I never had a bad day with John Cena on my roster ever. Let's mention too, you know, because a lot of comparisons are going to be made with these lists and things like that. John Cena is a modern day Hulk Hogan in that the same way. When I was a little kid, I looked up to Hulk Hogan and I was a little Hulkamaniac fans who were my age. Now at the time, probably looked at Hulk Hogan and said, I'd rather watch a Ric Flair match than this. Not for me. Sort of the same thing with John Cena. Maybe it wasn't for you, but man, that generation of kids they still look at John Cena as their Hulk Hogan and that'll be his legacy to me. And I'm looking forward to us talking about an individual pay-per-view next week. It's backlash 2000. But Conrad, I got to add something. I find it incredulous that you said you were a little Hulkamaniac. Okay. I was a medium sized Hulkamaniac. <laughs> a medium Medi- size. Medium size. How about, were you wearing Huskies at that point in time? Oh yeah. Yeah. I was a, uh, I, I was a, a first grade lineman. <laughs> Yeah. When I started playing football as a first grader, I was already on the line. Uh, well, no, you got your hand in the dirt, right? Yeah. The, which earlier, when you said that about a center, I was like, okay, I know what you mean, but I know some of our listeners are probably going to tweet and say, well, technically his hand was on the football. Not okay. Well, you know what it yeah, means. If you're a two handed snapper, there you go. It is. If you're a two handed snapper, I was, I made, uh, I was an honorable mention all stater and I snapped with one hand because that's what we were taught to do. Right. And so, but nonetheless, we're, I digress. Hey, and Jim, before I let you go, we should mention, man, you're shipping a ton of books. And every time I log into social media, more people are bragging that this is the best book on professional wrestling ever written. Oh, thanks buddy. A lot of people have liked it. Got us. I'm blessed and grateful. Quite frankly, uh, is where you can get a, uh, a personally autographed copy of the book. First edition hardcover. Uh, I'll pay your shipping. If you live in the lower 48 and, uh, so it's a pretty good deal. Amazon's got it. Walmart.com target.com when the Barnes and Noble stores, uh, open back up in, in, in full compliment, uh, they'll have it as well. So it's doing really well. I'm very, very blessed. Very happy. I thank you for bringing it up. Uh, where I'll also be happy to sell you some barbecue sauce because you know, it's grilling season. Yes, it is. Every time I log into social media, if I'm not seeing somebody bragging about your book, they're bragging about the sauce. They're bragging about everything else that's available at jrsbbq.com. I'm really surprised. So many of my own friends have went and bought your book to get it personalized. I'm like, guys, you know, when the world's over, we're going to do live shows and he'll actually personalize it for you in front of you one day. But I don't know. People don't want to wait. And I get it while you're quarantined. Why not enjoy a good book? Check it out. The best wrestling book ever written. Jim's not saying that I am. You can get it personalized and sent to your house right now at jrsbbq.com. And don't forget to pick up some of that sauce. It's inspired by mama, but enjoyed by you. Check it out. JRSBBQ.com. next week though, April 30th. It's the exact 20 year anniversary of backlash 2000. Chris Jericho's on the poster. We're in Washington, DC sold out, hanging from the rafters, 19,000 plus in attendance edge and Christian going to be defending their title against road dog and X-Pac Dean Malenko taking on Scotty too hottie for the uh, light heavyweight championship. Bossman and Bull Buchanan against the APA, Crash Holly against Hardcore Holly, Jeff Hardy, Matt Hardy, Perry Saturn, and Taz for the Hardcore title. A singles match with Big Show and Kurt Angle. 
a tag match with the Dudley boys and test and Albert Eddie Guerrero is going to defend his European championship against SA Rios, China and Lita are on the outside an intercontinental title match with Chris Jericho and Chris Benoit. That should be a barn burner. And then in your main event, the rock and triple H stone cold. Steve Austin is here supporting the rock. Mr. McMahon and Stephanie McMahon are here supporting triple H and Shane McMahon is the special guest referee. Lots of weird stuff happening in this McMahon Helmsley era, uh, or whatever, whatever we call it. Uh, mm. But I'm looking forward to it, man. A 20 year anniversary. A lot of our listeners look at 2000 as one of their favorite years. I have to admit it's not my favorite year, but it's fun to go back and look at how, all right, if Austin can't necessarily go just yet, let's put some garnish around it and let's find a way to get him in the mix uh, because we know he's coming back soon. This should be fun for us to beat up next week here on the show. Yeah, it should be a good time because that was quite the array of talent you just listed. And, uh, Absolutely. They, all, they all played unique roles. They all had unique careers, but, uh, it should be a fun uh, trip back down memory lane there next week. Uh, when we talk about that, uh, that event, well, a, a pretty decent show, it was kind of left-handed book in some parts of it. It was a more of a, it's like a two or three match show. Uh, I was, I would say, uh, that got t- the time attention and the focus two or three matches. Of course, the main event, anytime you got, uh, you know, the guys that you mentioned, the main event and the McMahon's there and. Shane is a referee, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you got, you know, where the TV time is going to go to, to build for the main event. So it's uh, it's going to be fun to talk about. I'm, I'm looking forward. I'm actually looking forward to going back and watching it. It's going to be fun to watch, check it out. Backlash 2000, watch it ahead of next week and then tune in next Thursday and every th- Thursday right here to Westwood one to hear grilling Jr. with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Hey, everybody, this is Dan Bespris, host of Fantasy NBA Today, a daily fantasy basketball podcast. We cover every box score from every game every day, plus bonus shows on buy low opportunities, players to stash, schedule analysis, and really anything you could need to smash your league into deliciously tiny pieces. Catch the Fantasy NBA Today podcast, part of the Believe Network, on YouTube or wherever you listen.